Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, in the heart of history, this is the Force Center podcast feed, also the Other Center podcast feed, and I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and I'm thrilled to be here discussing the kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Also, you know, Indiana Jones. In. I, I read that title like it was an old library listing. The Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull, comma, Indiana Jones and. 
Indiana Jones, Ed, and what Dewey Decimal System is uh, number is attached to that? That's the question. <laughs> yes, this is Indiana Jones and the Perilous Podcast, a series we launched on Patreon. So some of you might be listening now because you are supporting the Force Center team, and we really appreciate that. Some of you might be listening a little bit later when we reach the uh, release these to the public. We are in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, territory, the fifth movie of the series uh, coming out shortly or already out. Depending on when you're hearing this. So we're happy to have you all here as we turn our four center eye to the man in the hat. Yeah, this is uh, exciting, Ken. I've enjoyed discussing all of these films, but I've been really excited to discuss this one uh, because it does have, you know, a bit of uh, controversy. I think probably the controversy has cooled, but I guess we'll find out when we put out this episode and see how people react. We are discussing Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, released in May of 2008. It's a little over two hours runtime story by, by George Lucas and Jeff Nathanson. Uh, Jeff Nathanson involved in the Rush Hour films, the Spielberg film Catch Me If You Can. There are a couple of the uh, the big ones there. Uh, and then the, uh, the screenplay is uh, I got my note wrong and I almost said the screenplay was by the person who wrote the last movie we discussed, mm-hmm. but the screenplay is by uh, David Kep. Uh, mm-hmm. David Kep responsible uh, for, you know, some films you might have heard of like Jurassic Park, Mission Impossible, the 2002 Spider-Man, and uh, Mordecai, just to give <laughs> a very well-rounded list of credits of uh, the blockbuster scripting work uh, that has been done by David Cap and, you know, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, Ken, do you have thoughts or reactions to the rotating cast of writers in the Indiana Jones franchise? You know what? Uh, it's, it is a little fascinating to me. Uh, and I, I knew these names, right? Uh, I get that. I've seen the movies. I've seen the credits. Uh, but <laughs> I got to admit, I still kind of forget that Lawrence Kasdan didn't write all of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I feel like while the the films try to stretch in different directions uh, genre wise uh, theme wise up to a point they don't try to stretch stylistically when it comes to the dialogue it does feel like everybody is doing their best Lawrence Kasdan up to a point mm-hmm. yeah and I was reading some of the notes in the research that Kasdan may have been brought in for some of the relationship uh, basically Marion uh, indie dialogue here. I don't have that as a fact in front of me. It's just one of something I was reading on a wiki. Uh, and that makes sense too. And, and, um, and I enjoy that, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you that like he, they did such a good job, the entire team of Raiders and they did such a good job, you know, copying, not copying. That's not right. But even studying how Douglas Slocum shot them. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. there's some quotes about Spielberg about this is a challenging movie because I've evolved, but I had to kind of go back to a style that I had evolved from and all that kind of thing. So it's fascinating, but it, it relates to the writers and stories. I, I get the sense, uh, I mean this in the best way possible, that George, when it comes to stories and writing, he's got some ideas and thoughts, and and it might maybe occasionally be hard to push him off of the thoughts. And I mean, <laughs> I mean that in a good way, right? But it's like a lot of the names, and I think that helps. These are big names who know what they're doing. Yeah, I really love that about the legacy of Indiana Jones, that George Lucas is often the driving force and there's some fun sort of push pull behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. and you get to decide as a, as a viewer, once you're sitting down, it's like, this is obvious. All these films are obviously a combination of Spielberg, Lucas and everybody else involved, but they can kind of tip a little bit. And I love that this one really is like, Lucas is like, I'm not moving off the aliens. Okay. We can call them internet, interdimensional yeah. beings, but I'm not moving off of it. And I love that about Lucas that he gets an idea and he's like, I, I love this idea. 
I want other people to help me realize it, but I love this weird bonkers idea that maybe other people wouldn't mm. do and would maybe go to something a little bit more expected or a little bit more traditional and him going, nope, I want to mm. swing for the fences. Mm. And uh, just screenplay wise, I think I think David Kep did a great job of doing the, the final pass. Obviously, Frank Darabont uh, mm. involved in as well. If you write all read all the Wikipedias or if you write the Wikipedias, uh, mm. truthfully, uh, Frank Darabont was involved. I think a lot of the just the line by line dialogue has that has a great indie style, has a great mm-hmm. uh, pitter patter. And uh, I would absolutely believe that Lawrence Kasner was involved in the really sharp back and forths between Indy and Marion. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely makes sense. And, and, and even, yeah, we're obviously here to get deep, but in, talk, in terms of just the script and, and the story and, and everything on the page, uh, it really works to me. It all makes sense. And it's, you know, then you have to go shoot the films and make the films and edit the films. And that's where maybe sometimes some, some people might feel things get lost. And I can understand that with this as well. But um, I just, even some of the scenes we're going to talk about that maybe I have a problem with or you have a problem with or maybe this pop culture is a problem with, I still think on paper it worked. <laughs> I still think the the, the, the script is, is great. And, and I love that. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, we can move on to in, into some, some of our main thoughts mm-hmm. here. I'll say that three times, spoiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that what I appreciate about Lucas, uh, you know, jokingly kind of calling him, you know, the, 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 the punk in flannel who's, you know, mm-hmm. got <laughs> a Sabaro's mm-hmm. pizza in one hand and a middle finger to the camera in the other, like he's Johnny mm-hmm. Cash at heart that there's that sense to me of the ideas of like, I know a lot of people aren't going to like the idea that if India's in the fifties, he started out in the thirties, inspired by the adventurous heroes of the thirties. If we move him into the fifties, I want him inspired by the B movies and all of the anxieties around them of the 1950s. That is an idea that I think if you, it's the kind of idea in modern Hollywood that if you brought to a manager, an agent, (laughs) an executive, Mm -hmm. they'd just say no period. Right. And it is a part of Lucas's power of like, this might not work for everybody, but it works for me. It's my vision. It's my passion. And I want to make it happen. Yeah. That spirit that's there in, in a lot of Lucas's ideas. Same thing with the prequels. Like if you just ask people, what do you want the prequel story to be? You know, no majority audience of original trilogy fans would have voted for learning how kind young Darth Vader was, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, no, that's the story I'm telling period and i think yeah. that spirit shines through everything and i like it and i of course understand other people don't <laughs> yeah yeah we'll yeah. break that down though we will we will okay let's talk about our, our experience of viewing it this time around uh we got a lot on our plates it's a busy time in mm. the world what prep did you do for this rewatch of crystal skull and i've been been Jones and Jonesy to get here on this one, uh, and in in researching and writing some other projects with some some jobs I'm I'm doing now uh, with the new Rockstars folks and over at Fandom and I, Indy's been you know Indy's in the in, in the headlines again right so I I had been looking through a lot of the wikis or a lot of this or watching behind the scenes featurettes uh, this last uh, two weeks and a lot of stuff had come up about Crystal Skull obviously and. and some stuff started to emerge on like the themes in this movie. And then I, I hadn't watched it I, I, earlier this year. I'd watched it. Uh, uh, Grace and I wanted to watch it. Right. And, and I think I had said this on, on one of our previous broadcasts, like that was the first time I'd seen it since the theater. Wow. Which, it was a weird relationship. I have with this movie. Um, and as I said before, I walked out of the theater in 2008 and went, loved it. Oh, we all supposed to, we're supposed to hate this. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, and I enjoyed that, that view here, but, but you know, 
I don't, and I don't, you know, you're, 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 um, you know, a wonderful uh, t- talent when it comes to breaking down themes, Joseph. I don't know your process, but sometimes for me, I need the pieces to slowly fall into place or I'll hear something, see something, read something or think something. I go, oh yeah, okay, then that moves here. Okay, yeah, I'm starting to get a better, better picture. Well, that kind of happened in my research for just indie overall. And I was just, oh, I can't wait to watch this because I think I've already got some new eyes on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm already like, oh, that's right, that's right. That is one of the things in this film. Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then I got, I got super excited to finally watch it in parts over the course of nine days <laughs> watch it twice <laughs> over the last nine days in parts uh because of life being busy but happy to be here yeah i was really excited to watch it in the flow the last time i watched it we just watched raiders and then my wife was like hey i want to watch all of them so we watched them i think like four in a row four nights in a row and then started watching the the young indie adventures when we realized those were uh, available and for me, just really watching all four of the the films that existed up to this point in a flow, it it doesn't feel that different. So I was excited to rewatch it now uh, after watching all of the first three with a little bit more of our our analysis fedoras on. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I was, I was really excited to get for this one. I did watch it. I did have to break it up a little bit in, in parts, but it was a for me it was a real special viewing of Crystal Skull because the idea of uh, of fathers is certainly very present in Indiana Jones with uh, meeting Indy's father and then with Indy becoming a father mm-hmm. in this one. And also it's just, uh, I think at least for, for people of our generation who are young when Indiana Jones came out, I'm sure it's true for other people, it, this is a this is a movie that sometimes dads like, you know. I think mm-hmm. dads mm-hmm. <laughs> want to imagine their Harrison Ford uh, yep. likable and can make mistakes, but ultimately real cool. I can see how dads would gravitate toward <laughs> wanting to be like, yeah, no, I, I if I was president, I'd punch a guy in my plane. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. it, my dad loves Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. You know, I'm I'm hoping that I can see time it to go to Minnesota and watch Dial of Destiny with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I won't uh, belabor this because I'm sure it'll come up again on Four Center. Uh, as we're recording, my father-in-law passed away just a couple mm-hmm. days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know he liked Indiana Jones as well. And when we were at mm-hmm. Disneyland with him recently, um, we were uh, bummed out that the Indiana Jones ride uh, wasn't open at the time mm-hmm. so he could go on it. So uh, I was definitely, you know, in my feelings about, family and fathers and i think that's such an important part of this film that it it made it land even even heavier uh with me uh so that was that definitely affected my viewing um beyond that all my normal rituals i had a little glass of whiskey uh, i got my indiana jones action figures i i found the uh the marion in a dress with the monkey <laughs> uh so marion and the monkey watch with me uh which i love that action figure because uh it's just so weird but this film is the return of marion and i always forget also uh, the prominent return of monkeys uh a lot <laughs> yeah. of the important characters of raiders of the lost ark are back yeah. Yes. Yes. I would love to, you know, know that if they're they're kind of a distant relative of, of the monkey from Raiders, rest in peace, monkey. <laughs> they should have been eating dates. Would have been great. <laughs> All right. Where does this film rate for you? This is kind of our overview. We'll get into yeah. the the nuts and bolts of the big thematic ideas, but uh, after we're in our analysis for doors, where does it rate for you? Is it? Are you challenged by it? Do you love it? Does it feel the same? Where do you go? Yeah, look, as of this recording, there, there's four of these films out and and, and a, we do a rate and a ranking. I, this might come in fourth for me, sure, but I'm telling you all, it's good. Stop it. Stop it. 
Stop your fridge jokes. Stop your swinging monkey jokes. Okay, we can make a couple. Stop it. Stop it. It's good. It's good. And and, and there's some conversations to be had around things in this movie that I will get to, Joseph. I, I really don't think it's just about this movie. I think it's about 2008 filmmaking. Mm. 2008 is a fascinating year of filmmaking where Iron Man comes out. Uh, we are two years after da- Daniel Craig's Bond and, and th- that world. And how do we do it? And, you know, Quantum Solace coming out this year as well. Dark Knight. We're, we're in, it's a weird different time where the nerd culture is exploding. But Comic-Con is, is getting bigger thanks to the Twilight folks. But it's not what it would become in 2010 to 2015, mm-hmm. 16, right? Uh, and, and it's a different era. And there's a lot of things in this movie uh, CGI-wise uh, or, or just set-piece-wise that was like, cool, oh, let's do this because we can. And that doesn't necessarily mean you always should and we'll not get to that. And, and so that's where spending a lot of time in this movie in the last week to actually last month and thinking about this, and talking about this movie, uh, texting with some friends who I know. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, PJ Campbell and PLD over the Two Mediocre White Guys podcast with the reviewing industry. <laughs> we talk all the time about this movie. Um it's it's yes, it's got some things to point at, but I, I just think overall this is uh, way better than you, you you remember, way better than you want to give it credit to. Um, but also, yeah, I mean you're you're going up against Raiders of the Lost freaking Ark, man. <laughs> you try making any movie that even comes close to that, you know, or Last Crusade or Temple. Like this is iconic, and and I think I think it continues the legacy way way better than people want to admit. Yeah, I, I really agree with you. I, I think it has been interesting to see some of our uh, our, our friends in the in the Star Wars, uh, you know, podcasting streaming space, uh, come out swinging mm-hmm. <laughs> on social media, mm-hmm. uh, defending this film, and in particular, our friends that are a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be my bias, but for me, the reaction in two thousand eight was very much. Um, Social media was in its infancy with yep. with MySpace and in Facebook, so not quite that resounding conversation. So it was it was more um, for me the the people around me, and it was here we go again. It's the prequels all over again, mm-hmm. and I think it was that combination of we desperately want this thing that we love from our childhood back, and we somehow want it to magically be exactly what it was. And yet somehow different, grittier, darker, more adult. And and we don't want just a new story. We somehow want it to make us feel like we did in the summer of 81, which is literally impossible. Um, yeah. So I feel like for some of the people around me, for some of the criticisms that that I heard, that was my experience of it in 2008 of, of here we go again, people want something Mm-hmm. literally impossible uh, out of this film. Um, so taking a step back from that 2008 experience where uh, I liked it, I, I I loved it. And then it, everybody was real mad about it. So it's like, okay, <laughs> so be it. Uh, I've, I've, I, I fought in the prequel wars. I'm, I'm going to abstain from this. You, you know? know what? Yeah, actually there's a little bit of that. And I think I, I think at some point, maybe especially early Schmoes days, I might have might have kicked the can on this movie too. It's an easy joke to make. They're easy jokes to make. And and I think that's why going back to two thousand eight, I I wish I could have the power to just green light documentary series that I could watch because I love them. I want one on two thousand eight because it, it factors into things things you're talking about. Yes, MySpace. Friendster obviously been around for about five, six years, but Twitter was emerging. Uh, the instant conversation, the back and forth was a little bit uh, in its infancy, infancy, like you're saying there. And and that kind of, this kind of stuff was what, what was fueling it. And, and, and 
it's not just there's this this attitude of like oh we go back and and reevaluate these movies and and we forget how bad they were uh, uh and and then that's when like the younger generations come into it cuz they're engaging with it differently for some this was their first indie um mm-hmm. or definitely the first indie in the theater so yeah they're they're going to have a different engagement uh, with it which is how it should work but but when when we take what we you know the analytic fedora <laughs> that you've uh, helped uh, construct <laughs> over here when you when you engage with what the movie's saying, with we engage with what the artists are saying, what they're trying to do, yes, there's always going to be things. Again, uh, we're going to talk about some of the big. There's some set pieces and stuff in here that yeah, yeah, not not my favorite in terms of uh, in, in the indie canon. But what it's saying is, this is one of the more richer movies in the franchise for me, and yeah. and and that's what I think is happening. We are in a time where you look back at the snarky. Uh, you know, online, mostly, uh, you know, film community emerging in 2008 and movies were just starting to get reviewed on YouTube in 2007 range. Uh, you look back and it's, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fight against that, against that kind of thinking. It's, it's, it's not deep. It's not intellectual and not everything needs to be deep and not everything needs to be intellectual when we talk about movies. But I, that is what's happening these days. Looking back and going, no, no, and it starts with, it, it, it's a movie set in the 50s that's an homage to 50s sci-fi films. It, that seems so simple. It seems so simple. But I guarantee you, there's still people going, oh, I didn't see that. And I'm not saying it to make fun of them. I'm saying that starts your path into a deeper engagement with this film. Any film. Any film. And, 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 and I think that comes out of that era, what you're talking about. That was very much, I walked out of that Cinerama Dome going, man, that was fun. Oh, no, I'm, I'm being told I'm an idiot. Okay. Okay. I'll back off. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's so much to engage on in this film. Mm-hmm. It, it, particularly exciting to me is the the level and depth of what it's wrestling with in terms of B movies in the '50s and, and mm-hmm. what is going on with those movies, which we'll we will talk more about for sure. Uh, but I I think I've said before. I feel like if you don't like the nuking the fridge, even if something for for fantasy Indiana Jones level fantasy, it's it's too unbelievable and and you don't enjoy it. I totally mm-hmm. understand. And I, I understand it in the same way of if you're watching Rise of Skywalker and you're really wanting to understand how Palpatine came back and you're told it's a combination of, of dark magic and horrific science and that isn't enough for you and you're distracted. Those are criticisms that I really, really get. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's so much snark that builds up around them. And I feel sometimes there are viewers who get can get so put off by one strong thing at the top of the film the film is done for them mm-hmm. and and for people who are just really like yep that doesn't work for me but like with total respect i would always say like if you want to watch this try to put that out of your mind and, and don't let that you know be this one drop of poison that pollutes the entire thing for you so, mm-hmm. so you can try to see the rest of it and see if there's something more there for you yeah i really agree with that and i think part of that as well is uh, i've grown um i one of the things i one of the things I understand, but I've grown tired of the um, nostalgia conversation. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah, oof, big oof. Uh, it's such a bland word. It's a bland word you describe things, especially when a movie like this, uh, similar to Star Wars, obviously, it's a thing with George. Ever seen American Graffiti? A little bit of nostalgia dripped in that. Where were you in 62? Like, but it, it, it's important for us to have a relationship with it. We all have that relationship with nostalgia. You ever go to your old hometown and drive around the streets and get depressed because you're like, should I have left? Did I leave at the wrong time? What if I never left? Oh, God, I'm, I'm glad I left. We have a relationship with the past as we battle with the present, uh, as we grow old, as we change. And, and this is a, this is a, an older indie and, and all those things are there. And and the nostalgia is part of the point. It's our it's our relationship. And, and I think this was one of those movies where I think just, especially in two thousand eight, you see it on the screen, 
and you you know the character, you've seen the movies, and so you just you just go, oh, we're doing this again. Sometimes it, it, it's 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 it stopped it's stopping you at the gate. It, it, you're gatekeeping yourself to someone. <laughs> and again, I'm, you and I always give the caveats. We give the caveats, opinions, this and that. Things don't work, of course. Of course, you you know, uh, Temple of Doom. Uh, we already talked about some of the things I don't like in it that I love. Like, that's not what this is all about. Uh, if you're listening to this deep in the podcast and you follow along, you've been moved by it. You've connected with it. And uh, don't just stop. I saw someone tweet out, oh, God, uh, I totally forgot that this movie starts with Elvis Presley to remind us we're in the 50s. What? what? Yeah. That? yeah. 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 There's more going on there than that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk I, the, about it. And also, they. Yeah. why would that be bad? <laughs> why would that be bad? I mean, yeah. Yeah. No. And so I'm having. Yeah. I'd, I'd want to try to avoid being grumpy, but I'm just this movie is at a center point of of uh, of of me just kind of wanting to politely grab people by the collars and shake them and going. But what does this make you feel? Mm-hmm. And and this is one of those movies on that list. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with all that. I think for me, in terms of analyzing what is similar and what is different, because it is 19 years and it is Spielberg uh, uh, saying, I, I was trying to find a way to match this style and, and acknowledge my own evolution. And, uh, you know, Douglas Slocum isn't there, uh, mm-hmm. the cinematographer of the first three. So I think what what struck me when I watched it, both the last times I watched it, is what's similar to me is the tone uh, the pacing, the structure, the themes. I think it's building on themes that have been really present mm-hmm. in previous indie films. So it absolutely just feels like an indie film. I think uh, Harrison Ford is remarkably consistent and it isn't just about his, oh, oh wow, he's in his 60s and he can still punch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's there, he's the character and the character is the same but has evolved, all those things. To me, what's different is is the visual. Um I think uh, Kaminsky, the new cinematographer, did an admirable job of matching Slocum, but mm-hmm. it is a little bit more uh, bright in places. Yep. yep, um, yep. And I think that uh, that was a little bump for me this time around. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing, there's so much discussion about CGI, which when it came out in 2008 was partially because the filmmakers had talked so much about mm-hmm. we're doing all these real stunts. And they did. They really threw real human bodies around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then they, you know cleaned up, enhanced with CGI. But reading about it more uh, in the last couple of days, the, the Wikipedia talks about how Spielberg was like, I, I want to spend time with my family. I don't want to fly to 800 different places across yes. the world. So yes. to me, the visual difference is far less about the CGI, far less about 2008, and more about Spielberg's <laughs> dinner plans with his family, which, mm-hmm. bless the man, all credit to him balance in art and life but that to me is what is what looks different the sets in kingdom of the, of the crystal skull are phenomenal mm-hmm. but some of the in there are some phenomenal shots but some of the shots that in the other films are on location mm-hmm. they're convincing but mm-hmm. they aren't they don't quite capture that same globe trotting style when there's like that's just a film camera pointed at an actual desert Mm-hmm. Um, that's actual Petra. That's mm-hmm. actual, you know, ancient carved stone. Mm-hmm. I think there are some beats in here for me where I do feel the the lack of the tactile in the locations. And it's not the CGI so much about the stunts. It's mm-hmm. about the comping in the location photos. 
Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And there's a point in this movie, there's a midway point when they kind of, by the time they're going to Peru and, and the real adventure kind of is kicking off where I, I, I think I could almost divide the movie into two halves where I think the first half is perfection and I really stand by that. And a lot of the deep things emerge from the first half. Uh, and then and then once the adventure starts, you're putting words to what I've kind of been feeling. Uh, now, remember, Temple of Doom was, there's a lot of soundstage stuff in Temple of Doom, but Douglas Slocum, uh, you can find articles on this, shot it in such a way that you don't feel that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't a... Um, I don't want super negative as, as some real talented people putting this together, but you 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 do feel constricted by it a little bit. It does kind of um, come off as that. I, look, I I remember having the the first five minutes of Force Awakens at the Tunal Village. I I remember not engaged. I was like, oh god, it looks like they sh- oh it looks like they shut it. Did they rent the space? Like what did they like? I just <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't it didn't feel it. And and it, it's sometimes not fair to these films. And but um and and doing uh, you're right. That's that's a great research point. Um, there was some thought going into this film that Spielberg was like, it thinks it's time for me to just produce and not direct it. But mm-hmm. then they direct it, he directs it, and it's not that it, Spielberg knows what he's doing, but mm-hmm. clearly he's at war with himself a little bit of like, ah, I'm not this anymore. And he had just, he, one of the reasons he decided uh, finally, all right, it's the right time and I'm going to direct it was he just come off three of his darkest movies. And, and yeah, fun indie movie. Let's go do this. Like, and, and and I think that could be some limitations. The, the CGI stuff, you're sorry, it's a, that uh, that weird practical versus CGI has never been an, a correct, uh, you know, uh, no. argument to have because you, you go back to Raiders, you know, <laughs> did they really blow up Paul Freeman's head? Uh, you know, <laughs> like, like, it's a weird argument. It's just, again, it's 2008. To, again, well, I want that documentary. 2008. Anyways, I, I got, I, I'm excited that you said that because that's, I don't want to say Spielberg's wink link because who am I to say Spielberg's no. wink link at anything? But there's some to the point where they shot at Yale because one of his sons was studying there. Sasha's yeah. in the fight scene. Great. Put, you know, put, put her in. Um, she got a great uh, podcast with Alana Hyam now. I, I love her work. But like, you know, like you tell Spielberg's like, you know what? David Kelly goes home at five every day to go to Michelle Pfeiffer and his kids. I'm, I'm doing that too. And, and I'm going to Michelle Pfeiffer and her kids. No, wait, no, yeah. no. Kate <laughs> Capshaw. You know, and, and, and he has that right. But yes, I, I feel that at times in the film. Yeah. And, and to me, it was less about like, cause all, all the fight stuff was, is I love the fight stuff and it mm-hmm. looks very choreographed and very performed by real people. And the explosions are real. It's the environments for me yes. that, that, uh, there's a little bit of distance from, um, Another thing that I did love about this big picture that I want to be sure to share is I was so fascinated uh, to put on that analysis for Dora about the general tone of this one, because Mm -hmm. spending more time with uh, the films and the behind the scenes stories of Raiders is this uh, this riff on both James Bond and 30s action adventure serials and Mm -hmm and captures lightning in a bottle and creates something new that is the Indiana Jones template. Mm-hmm. But then Temple goes way dark and, and way different. And then Last Crusade is almost reactionary to that. And I think Last Crusade is great, but it really swings hard towards humor and heartfelt. And it pushes away from the the creepier, weirder, darker side of pulp and almost more leans into Western in mm-hmm. in the look and the theme. So you've got a trilogy of films and you've got one that's just like this sort of lightning in a bottle that's like this can never entirely be recaptured. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, then a, let's try to do something real different that's dark. Then a 
than a reaction. So then what is the fourth one? Mm-hmm. And to me, what's fascinating about it is it, it feels like an excellent integration of everything that's come before. There are a lot of, there's lots of heart and there's a lot of the family issues carried over from Last Crusade. But then those darker, weirder pulp elements uh, that to me are a little bit missing from Last Crusade are back. You got, you know, uh, people in skull masks, you know, mm-hmm. jumping out from the darkness, you know. Mm-hmm. You have Indiana Jones strapped to a chair, staring into a hypnotic crystal skull. You, you have a, a man sort of gruesomely devoured mm-hmm. <laughs> by ants and carried off into mm-hmm. God knows what ant hell. You know, the darker <laughs> pulp is back. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like, okay, now we've grown beyond the 30s adventure serial inspiration. We've grown beyond the James Bond serial. And now indie is the template for indie. And I mean that for myself in a good way, not in a too much nostalgia. They're just aping what they've done before. It, it feels like is of this film. It is entirely its own thing. Yeah, I, you know, I switched computers. I had a I had a little thing up um, from probably one of the the wikis, probably the indie wiki and fandom. But there was a a beat from George, kind of saying, again, totally paraphrasing. I apologize, but maybe you maybe you have it in your notes. You can pick it up, Joseph. But the the, the George kind of said I, that he was a little bit at, at, at odds with Harrison and Stephen over that. No, this can change. I know you felt mm-hmm. that this was all three movies set in the '30s, and it's a serial adventure, like. Uh, Saturday morning thing and 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 George clearly loves that but like no 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 th- we can do 50 sci-fi we could do something else uh and and this kind of, one of the reasons he really was convinced of that was seeing uh Harrison Ford with a beard in the uh uh Indiana Jones Chronicles episode young indie episode where oh I wonder what this character is like in the 1950s yeah we can do that and we can do different styles and young Indiana Jones Chronicles is a thing that you and I are watching and studying and and, and just absolutely obsessed with at least I am I'll speak for myself mm-hmm. no, and, I'm with you stylistically different from from almost film to film um for better or worse i guess you could say but but like no we can play around this is an homage to films an homage to art uh, the art that, that formed us and it, it can do this and, and maybe even you know i would love to hear that conversation between those three titans of them going no it's got to be this um and i think that 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 what you're saying is it moves a lot of it forward into a different style but but yeah. by remaining itself yeah, yeah, and I, I think it deals with the the, the themes and the ideas, and they, they it's not structurally super uh, like in a B movie of the fifties. It's more informed by the ideas and the anxieties and all that. Mm-hmm. So it structurally remains indie. Yeah, I, I read that quote and, and loved it as well. And I think that's what I was talking about about in my going on about the the punk in, in flannel, the rebel yeah. in flannel, mm-hmm. is that Lucas seems to always have this idea of like. Why not? I love ideas that open doors to giant canvases. The same way he was like, Star Wars does not need to be defined just visually by what was in the original trilogy. It's a massive galaxy with different time eras. So let's expand the palette in Mm -hmm. the prequels. Now they get to do the Clone Wars. We can do a straight up Kaiju Godzilla episode. We can do anything in Star Wars. And I love that he took that same, not anything, but... This is a character that is of pulp and of the anxieties shaped by pulp. What is the pulp of this time? Let's move it forward. That's mm-hmm. the spirit that that I love, and I think is is one of the other things that I wanted to talk about. You know, briefly here at the at our um, mm-hmm. for overall stuff, we'll get deeper into the ideas of it. But I think one of the really fascinating things about this movie is the first three films are inspired by Lucas and Spielberg's childhood in that they are. Uh, remixing 
the adventure serials that they grew up with and the Westerns that they grew up with and the James Bond movies that they grew up with. They are remixing the fantasy stories of their childhoods. But by updating it, not just to the B movies in in alien invasion movies of the fifties, but all of the real life real life paranoia and social horror mm-hmm. of the Cold War, they are now messing around with their own childhoods. Lucas was thirteen and Spielberg was eleven in nineteen fifty seven when this movie was set. They lived through the Cold War and mm-hmm. the Red Scare. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I haven't heard interviews with them of like, how did they interpret those ideas? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it it's one of the things that makes this movie fascinating. And I think maybe challenging for people is it it feels more real um, mm-hmm. in some ways because it's de- it's digging even even deeper into what was really going on in America, in the world in 1957. Mm-hmm. It's more of a historical piece, I think. You and I talked about it a little bit. I understand people bumping on Indy surviving, uh, you know, a, a nuclear or an atomic blast um, from a from a fridge, just from a sort of a, a logic. Could that really happen? Standpoint is this is this too far? But watching it this this time, Ken, mm. when Indy stumbles out of the fridge, in there's that to me magnificent shot where he's seeing the mushroom cloud in the background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for people our generation who lived with the constant terror of, you know, mm-hmm. the possibility of nuclear war and, and one of the things that I think has made Generation X kind of a, a little snarky and nihilistic is that you're probably not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're probably you and your friends are all, all probably going to be turned to dust in, in stone, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sooner rather than later um, mm-hmm. to see Indy when we were young is this character of utter fantasy we weren't alive in the 30s uh, yeah. we have no idea how much how how real uh, anything in temple of doom is a nuke is very real to us so mm-hmm. seeing this figure of of fantasy from our childhood in the 80s almost uncomfortably in reality yeah and i think it made it even harder for people to sort of i mean you're, you're a great example about how you know indiana jones has never dealt in like great reality of like, could you survive falling out of a plane mm-hmm. with an air raft? Well, none of us have gone through uh, drills in school about how to survive falling out yeah. of a plane in a raft. Yeah. But we all did uh, of our generation in, in, in the, the fear of, of nuclear Armageddon. Yeah. So I wonder how much that, that tension between Indiana Jones being a, a figure of utter fantasy in dealing with with a real horror that we grew up with affected how people our age responded so negatively to that early part of the film and then that carried through throughout the film uh, this is great this is going to be in the dock 2008 the year that almost changed film it's going to be in the dock you're, you're, you're going to be talking ahead in this um <laughs> this is fascinating yeah no and, and not to sound like gather around children let us tell you about the times but like yeah, 1983, 80, 45, I was being taught to duck under little tiny, you know, desks to in case of, you know, the capital R Russians uh, attacking us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alphaville's uh, song Forever Young, uh, hoping for the best but expecting the worst. Are you going to drop the bomb or not? Uh, it, it's a popular song from the time that a lot of you might know at karaoke. It is about this. It is about the tension of every day. Are we dying or not? Uh, it's a pretty fascinating time. And, 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 and 
can't wait to get into more about the Red Scare. Something uh, my father who came over here to America in 1951 um, from from Austria, but on the born in um, uh, Russia, right, born in Austria, but on the way from Russia. Like I, I, I can tell you the stories right firsthand. Mm-hmm. It's my family's legacy of going to chase the American dream and having this country spit in your face and try to send you away. It's all very real. And that's why I think the first house movie, I think is some of the deepest stuff in Indy. They are absolutely saying things. They're absolutely working through things. And it's, and yeah, I wonder what that's doing. You know, one of the things I did yesterday, I had a little downtime, watch that, that shot you're talking about of, of the cloud. Uh, I, I went on YouTube and you can find there's a declassified footage out there from years, but of like of some of the big tests, including the big one, uh, the largest one on record uh, with uh, the Soviet Union tested. Uh, and, and the footage is terrifying and mesmerizing at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that energy is into it of just like, what the hell is this? And so, yes, it's a fridge gag that, by the way, George researched. He had papers that he told Stephen <laughs> a 50, 50 percent chance that you could survive. Uh, I, and, and there's a great series of quotes of Spielberg going, yeah, the nuke in the fridge meme, you know, before the, he didn't say meme, but that's my mm-hmm. fault. And then George said, no, no, he's being nice. He's coming from me. This is my idea. I had researched it. Um, I love it all. It's, it's, it's we, maybe we just do a doc on that scene. <laughs> <Maybe it's that. laughs> I, I think you could, cause I think it is, you know, everybody has different levels of sort of what level of fantasy they're uh, uh, mm-hmm. able to uh, accept. Mm-hmm. And what bumps them out of the film. And I really get that. Yep, that's that's a big swing. And I get that just mm-hmm. without anything deeper than it's too much for me. It bumps me out of the fantasy. I get it. But I think there is so much deeper going on. And it mm-hmm. is real different to go from a, you know, a, a character who's, you know, uh, taking a leap of faith on a forced perspective bridge and mm-hmm. uh, watching, you know, some a dark magician pull a beating heart out. It's those mm-hmm. are fantasy. Yeah it's different to see him up against the real horror. There's an 800 year old bleep a night walking around. <laughs> and you're like, that's right? good. <laughs> but a fridge. I, yeah. We, there should be a commentary track of the crystal skull from the perspective of that night. And uh, the night can just say, you know, he chose poorly. He chose wisely. And that's the entire commentary track. <laughs> I love that. When he chooses the fridge, he'll say he chose wisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm tempted to talk more about all the B-movie stuff, but I think it's going to come up as we get into the big theme. So let's do it. What are the big ideas for you? What ideas are at stake in this movie? Oh, Joseph, let me tell you. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll start with an <laughs> overview. Um, and, and, and by the way, you brought up some great stuff about family. I think there's some stuff in there about uh, the nuclear fam- family, a little parody of it in a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually seeing that, all that kind of things. But it, to me, there's this idea of trust, uh, a big one of redefining your identity. This is about the search for knowledge and information. And when you can't have it, what do you do with that? And, and the truth and forming identities, a lot of stuff going on with identities. But the big one for redefining the identity comes to me from Indy, uh, who uh, has a a long life at this point, right? He's been since July 1st, 1889. He's been uh, 1899, excuse me. He's been running around. Uh, and uh, he is a professor. He's an archaeologist. He's an adventurer. He's a ladies man. But now he's being tasked with, uh, can you be a husband? Can you be a father? Um, you lost your professor, professor job. Who are you without that? There's a lot of redefining your identity. And when you don't know, know the next step and you don't know the answers and you don't know who to trust, we can run down the list, but there's a lot of stuff going on here as we dive into this conversation. And it all kind of is uh, into this big one for me of, of redefining your identity or what is your identity, forming your identity. 
Mm, I love that. I think that's really, really powerful. It does. It, 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 we find Indy kind of stuck and then thrown out of all of his various realities. And I love looking at it from that perspective of uh, a torture test for who, who is he really? Um, Which I think they often do. Um, I think real big picture for me, this is continuing themes that I think are present in every one of the films of testing Indy's character by asking, you know, what is it he, he, is he going after and why? What's the real, real treasure? Um, mm-hmm. We've really tracked, like, uh, uh, with all the, throughout the films, people accuse him directly of being a grave robber, much like mm-hmm. the character is in our culture, you know, under, understandably saying, you know, are these films promoting <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of uh, plundering and disrespect cultures? The films are always examining that. Maybe, maybe a little bit uh, clumsy. Uh, we can mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, but I think just like Last Crusade, it gets pretty explicit about this is a, a, a uh, question of what is the real treasure? And there's a lot of great pictures of what the people who I think we were meant to disagree with are after. Uh, they're after gold. They're after power. Uh, they're after this uh, feeling of, of safety, this level of safety that is, that is impossible and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And in contrast, the heroes that we uh, the heroes that we end up agreeing with uh, are pretty explicit uh, about what the real treasures are, including knowledge, uh, connection, personal experience. So I think it it really um, lays out a lot of the ideas that have been present in the previous films, and really reasserts them while also just putting them in entirely new context and new identities, like you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I love this. There's so much stuff. Um just in, in trying to discover, I like how you say, discover what you're actually looking for. And, and by the way, I think every indie movie should deal with that, right? Cause that's what this mm-hmm. is about. Uh, and this dealing with that dealing in a new time and what that means in a new time. Uh, and, and, and just running down the list of, 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 and trying to, what are you really searching for and who are you really searching with? You, you, uh, American soldiers are actually Soviet soldiers. Uh, we see Indy's hat, the symbol of who he is or who he appears to be. Roswell, the information's hidden away. Mac, who's triple turning on Hindi, which I remember in 2008 going, I don't like that. Now I, I think it's very thematically correct. He runs into a town that is not really a town. He meets his son without knowing his son. He doesn't know Marion was hiding the truth. Mutt doesn't know. And then the big thing of the, I, we should, we're going to do an entire section on the Red Scare. But yeah. in the 1950s, America creates a, an identity for, for itself. I think one of the best scenes of all of Indiana Jones, the franchise, is Jim Broadbent's uh, Dean character, Dean Stanforth, having this little conversation with Indy uh, being essentially forced to uh, uh, fired, forced to leave uh, with pay uh, because of the suspicion, the hysteria at the time. Uh, when this is the 1950s are, are exactly what you're talking about. And Lucas and Spielberg growing up in this time of this is, was when, when that identity was formed. Uh, America is this. The rest of the world is that. Uh, and out of that comes the military industrial complex comes, uh, uh, you know, you must the nuclear family, the 2.5 kids go to church on Sunday. And, that, and if you're not that you're a pinko commie and that's what you are. And, and mm-hmm. all this, all the truth, all this information that's buried with it. And, 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 and you can either. You know, not having all knowledge, the search for knowledge, or then knowledge to have power. The, everything going on with Spalco, that her first line, one of her one of her first early lines is that uh, uh, I because I know things, and what I do not know, I find out because this mm-hmm. knowledge is this power. Um, it's fascinating stuff. I'm barfing it all up, Joseph, because I, I, <laughs> I really love all that. And that scene with Brad Jim Broadbent, I, I watched it a few times. Um, it's fascinating. 
That that was the thing that when I watched it like a year and a half ago with my wife, I was like, ah, it's so caught up in the CGI and the mm-hmm. in the nuke and with Sheila Buff, a, a good actor to play his son. I was so caught up in all that. I was like, I didn't pay attention to how deep this film goes on the layers mm-hmm. of the the B movies and, and what's actually animating them at the time. So yeah, let's let's dive deeper into that. I, I want to barf with you. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to me, I broke that that theme down to knowledge versus paranoia. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think the film really plays with the fine line between uh, a a good desire to hunt knowledge and to want to know the truth versus uh, knowledge becoming a paranoid witch hunt of mm. wanting to know what everyone is thinking, want to control what everyone is thinking. That's great. Um, and I think that's the, the, what, what I think this film doesn't get enough credit for is that the, those B movies of the fifties, uh, like so many things that, that people turn their noses up of genre of like, you know, people in rubber suits for teens to scream at in the fifties, mm-hmm. like those, all those films are deeply deeply tied to the fear of being infiltrated from the outside by others Mm -hmm. they are reflections of the fear of we know how to fight a war we know how to go you know rah 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 let's go punch a nazi we don't know how to fight the idea of a cold war the idea that there might be soviets here Mm -hmm. um you know whispering uh their 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 thoughts and then that paranoia becomes i think uh control and an effort to control of like mm-hmm. let's use the fear of that let's let's if anybody disagrees with what we want these very traditional values uh mm-hmm. we'll accuse them of being a, a communist we'll accuse them of being an outsider mm-hmm. and we'll force everybody into as you were saying like these these are the strict rigid lines of defined of what is american and mm-hmm. you will not deviate from them so this paranoia becomes a means of control. And I think, you know, politicians at the time who were not afraid of communists anywhere, they weren't afraid of them in, in uh, the halls of, of, of power in, in Washington, D.C. or in Hollywood, but use it uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a tool to enforce their one strict view of things. And, mm-hmm. and that is playing out so much in, in B-movies. I studied them in college, you know, mm. you know, invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> mm. it, it is, it, it's fascinating because monster movies and alien movies are often the place that it's safe to be coded as others. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And why people from, I think, different walks of life often gravitate to horror. It's a safe place to play at it. Uh, but then the, the films of the fifties kind of had their, tried to have their cake and eat it too. Of like, well, if you're different in, in any way, you, you can kind of explore that in horror and alien and B movies, but then by the end, the movie's all, always going to really strongly reinforce, um, mm-hmm. particularly, a, you know, quote unquote traditional heterosexual union, which mm-hmm. is funny because this film, I feel like, is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is really pushing back on, on Red Scare and, mm-hmm. and the paranoia that animated those B movies. And then because I think it's kind of trying to have a nice message about indie growing up and evolving it does end by <laughs> affirming <laughs> traditional heterosexual union and nuclear family um yeah. but i think it's trying to kind of pull it apart of like yeah. of w- what what are some of the good things about those american values and, and what is the the absolute yeah. real darkness of mm-hmm. 
the the red scare um uh, yeah, yeah yeah go for it no i think that and, and, and it's and it's definitely important to spielberg i think it's really important to george lucas it's really important, important. especially if you've watched uh, all of the indiana jones chronicles young indiana jones stuff or if i don't know seen the prequels uh it is uh it, it is big and it, and this is uh it's not a um pack your bags and i'm leaving this country vibe it's the other way for george i think going it, it, it shouldn't be this way it doesn't have to be this way your your, your knowledge versus paranoia thing is, is is just a wonderful way to look at it and i think better kind of encapsulates what i was was feeling of when i go to like this trust thing you know again it starts for me you know i was talking about the building blocks earlier i didn't like the mac thing back in the day like oh, three times come on i remember probably saying that to myself either way i enjoyed the movie uh now to see it just like you don't know, you can't know, and you have to be secure in that. There's a there's a trust in that, and 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 you are definitely there. It isn't just simply we're doing a movie in the fifties. Uh, it's a B movie with with aliens. Oh, excuse me, interdimensional beings and <laughs> Russians are the enemies, right? Because there was a Darabont script uh, version of this where it was uh, Nazis um, from South America left over after the war, and and there was kind of a discussion. Between the, the you know uh, Harrison Spielberg and, and George about ah maybe we, no and but it, and George kind of holding to like no if it's in the fifties it has to deal with the threat that was the Cold War yeah. the Cold War but it isn't just uh they're the bad guys with the good guys and it, and it's certainly and trust me again I have a lot of issues with Stalin's Soviet Union it it it, it both saved and affected my family directly mm-hmm. got the stories um got horrible stories. But it, so it isn't a, a, a I don't it's not both sides of it, but it's just like looking at why did why was this identity formed? That's why the broadband stuff I think is really important. And, and and there's so much identity going on. Are you a greaser? Are you an American? Are you an adventurer? A teacher? A husband? A partner? A communist? Are you a communist? Because you might be next door. That's kind of the vibe of what you're describing in the fifties. Uh, be movies right they could be your neighbor and, mm-hmm. and that's what was going on it was this paranoia and out of that paranoia of course people grasp for control that's that's Spalco's big thing is she wants knowledge that's a great thing but she's going to control people's minds and what an army she could have if everyone could just follow your beliefs lock step and barrel like that's what's at stake in this movie um, yeah and it's and it's, and it's I, I just love it it's, I love it love the exploration of it because it's giant George yeah, it, it, it's huge, and it, it makes a lot of sense of the, everything I talk about with, you know, Rebel and Flannel, but also, like, a lot of the themes that are in Indiana Jones, but also in Star Wars, about having some amount of distrust with any kind of group think, but also deeply valuing people working together and connections mm-hmm. and, and finding that, that thin line between we are all uh, symbionts, we all need one another, and we all work together. Uh, but we need to respect one another's difference versus this this terror of dysfunctional mm-hmm. organizations that become groupthink. And I think that's what's so powerful in the early scenes that you're talking about is, in theory, in this film and in reality, uh, there are forces of uh, of authority saying we are in danger. The Russians, the Reds, are infiltrating America, and they are controlling our minds. So in response, we're going to have rabid McCarthyism fear mongering and we Americans are going to actually try to control society. So one is paranoia and one is really happening. And and I think, you know, Lucas is the the stereotypical iconoclast being like you're you're the ones doing the things that you should say that we should be so afraid of. Mm -hmm. Um, And Indy is reflecting that the the FBI in this movie is uh portrayed is just as problematic to indie is the kgb um yep 
the the in that investigation scene interrogation scene with the FBI mm-hmm. uh when Indy talks about another great point of identity of like I'm I was undercover throughout the war I was OSS mm-hmm. you know yeah. um and and the other agent says well we all served and Indy says no kidding what side were you on yeah and I think that's a that's a, a such a great picture of hey America's got lots of problems but for this brief moment we defined ourselves as the antithesis of uh, authoritarianism, this controlling lockstep uh, belief system, this no one can be different belief system of the Nazis. Did we not just fight to prevent that? Mm-hmm. And now you're turning around and doing that and saying we all need to be the same. Um, the not being able to trust uh, Mac is great. Uh, the the that that Indy actually does, as you're saying, get blacklisted from his school by mm-hmm. the Americans, by the FBI. Uh, the better dead than red group in the college campus, that great scene mm-hmm. between uh, him and Charlie where Indy can't quite trust Charlie. Mm-hmm. And Charlie has that line about like, well, it's, it, it, it's really hard to trust people. Mm-hmm. So Indy, we know, is this character who wants to know things in a good way, right? It's, yeah. it's what animates him. He wants to learn in experience. Uh, I, I had it in my hand, Marcus. I touched it. Mm-hmm. He wants to know the truth uh, behind the bedtime stories and marry the fantasy with the reality. Uh, but he, in the beginning of this film, is at risk of giving in to sheer paranoia. Mm-hmm. Because who, who around me can I trust? Because everybody's involved in this Red Scare now. I can't really trust the FBI I can't trust uh, my colleagues during the war. I can't even trust that. I can't even trust Charlie. I think he broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Charlie has that great, like, no, I resigned. Uh, yeah. So I think that really starts this sort of knowledge versus paranoia that even Indy has to push past the mm-hmm. instinct to, to treat everything with utter paranoia. Mm. I absolutely love that. When hysteria reaches academia, I guess it's time to call it a career, says Dean Stanford. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I, and I love the uh, the FBI scene you're talking about with uh, uh, Neil Flynn there uh, playing one of the agents. Like uh, it's 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 yeah, it's it's a little it's a little scene, but it's an important scene of what, what's going on. And again, this is you got you got other hands on this writers and Spielberg and all those things to be clear. But again, you know, uh, the rebel in the flannel again. What is the thing that you and I repeat all the time? George has never said, get rid of the Jedi Order. He's just said they got to reconnect with what their actual stated purpose is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big thing with him. So, so George saying to, to the American government in this film, if you want to take it that far of, what are you doing? Is this what you is this what we fought for? Like you just said, Joseph, or is, is this mm-hmm. is this is this is the aftermath? This is the post-war Truman Doctor and all this stuff is is, is now at, at, at stake. I like Ike, says Indiana Jones. Um <laughs> What identity are we forming here? And what's it Yeah. Make? Yeah. And, and I think Spolko is one of the most successful villains, uh, partially just because she's fun and, and to mm-hmm. me played to perfection between being a heightened villain from a fantasy film mm-hmm. um, and also what's what she's motivated by, like all the great villains in indie going back to belloc's speech about like you know we're we're the same you know i'm just a dark reflection of you i feel like without speechifying that that's what's going on with spalco too of mm-hmm. she loves knowledge like indie uh like you're saying that line there one of her first lines because i know things i know them before anyone else um she is a student a historian maybe not at on indie's level because she keeps needing his help but she's keeping up with him and even in those moments where 
Indy is being forced under duress to help her figure things out. Mm. Um, somebody's life is in danger, so he has to, right? Mm. He still gets excited and giddy like a kid. And they have those moments where, where Indy and the villain Spalco are getting excited together about knowledge and discovery. Mm. Yeah, so there's like a- unified on loving knowledge, but then mm-hmm. she diverges into using it as a weapon. What were you going to say? Well, because in that scene, there's a, there's a great line. This is the, the auto writing scene. And there's a great moment with, of course, Kate Blanchett heard she's pretty good, says <laughs> auto writing. I should have seen this. And it's not done as a villain. It's done as the, the, the paranoid person behind it. Right. And, and so yeah. it is a moment of celebration. It's a shared moment with them. You're right. They're, sub- they're on the trail here. Uh, but I love that little moment of auto writing. I should have seen this, but, but the fact that I can't control that, and I didn't know this. Oh, I'm behind it. And, and that that's kind of the core of the character right there for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like they're having an arms race with knowledge. Uh, and and <laughs> yes. it, even, even she, you know, has that acknowledgement. like, well, you, you got the, uh, the bomb first, but we're going to get this first. Yes. Um, and when, when India is deciphering those auto written clues from Oxley, he's getting giddy about figuring out, you know, like yeah. the, the great things, Amazon, obviously, but what's this, what's this, what's this, you know? Yeah. And there's no sense of like, you gotta, like he is, he is doing it motivation wise because they've threatened to marry him. But right. once he has to do it anyway, he's giddy because mm-hmm. uh, he loves knowledge. He wants to know the truth. And then I think where they diverge is that she, for her, for Indy, Knowledge is something that brings clarity and connection. It clears away the cobwebs. Well, this was the myth, but what's the truth? And then I can pass that knowledge on to students. And and in his adventures, his his seeking of knowledge always brings him closer to other people. Mm. Uh, Mm. But for Spalco, it's just a weapon. And I think maybe one of my favorite scenes in all of Indiana Jones is her speech while he's staring into into the crystal skull, which is just the paranoia of America, the paranoia of fifties B movies come true. Like this real fun plane of like, what if, uh, what are the things that everybody's yelling about? Oh, the Soviets were actually yeah. <laughs> trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to read this real quick. Cause it's, please, it's so please. great. Um, Spoko is, is talking about the power of, of what the crystal skull will, will give her as it's, uh, is it's uh, yelling at Indy to return it uh, mentally. She says, uh, you know, to place our thoughts in the minds of your leaders, make your teachers teach the true version of history, make your soldiers attack on our command. We will be everywhere at once, more powerful than a whisper, invading your dreams, thinking your thoughts for you while you sleep. We will change you, Dr. Jones, all of you from the inside. We will turn you into us. And the best part, you won't even know it's happening. Uh, Mm. That could be the logline of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. That's how aligned it is with the the B-movies reflection of the real life fear of the cold war what if they are what if others are infiltrating us and yeah in in this film that's what the russians want to do if there were real crystal skulls i think america and russia would have competed to both get the mind control power first but the darker side of it in the side that i think reflects reality is that fear of what if the others get inside and change us isn't just about communism, right? That's extending mm-hmm. in America at the time to anybody who is different in the slightest way. And yeah. I think that's where the real rebel spirit comes in. That's where Indy's real free thinking spirit comes in of like, this is what the Russian villain is claiming that she wants, but it is also what America is doing in reality with the McCarthyism. 
Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I put this down as, uh, you know, uh, I think it, I think again, it's Neil Flynn's, uh, agent, uh, character says at one point, my country, my country. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, a, a American, the 1950s marketing of the great American dream. And I think that that carries out to, to where it is now. We still deal with it. Still have conversations, uh, you know, I, I, this get overtly political, Joseph. This is the episode of just like, uh, talking to family members who, you know, hey, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we all had access to some health care? No, no, no. I can't. I can't support that because then you're in my mind. Then mm-hmm. that's what's in my mind. Then the, the great American dream, the promise that we have is in my mind. You know, there's what can I say? Jonesy, I'm a capitalist and they pay. And I, 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 I can't I can't. You know, there's a lot of that. And it stems from this decade. By the way, it's no mistake. Uh, when people want to, I don't know, make things great again, they go back to this decade often. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. dream that was not sold, it was constructed. It was constructed to 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 have some sort of control with what's going on. And by you know, the threat's real. Stalin was into psychic warfare. That's based in reality. You know whether or not they pulled it off, and we had the men who stare at goats, all that kind of stuff. Got it. But but but. Uh, that that the Cold War was real, right? You know, and you and I mm-hmm. there, there at the very end. Um, again, you know, yeah, yeah, not to, yeah, it, it's it's perfect. I, yeah, I, I, I'm Ukrainian, uh, Circassian descent. As a kid, I was called a Russian. I called myself a Russian because it's all like Soviet Union. Yeah, I I took a shit in the in the eighties, um, for this stuff because it was still there. Because how you don't want to be different. God damn it. The Cincinnati Reds baseball team in the fifties for a couple seasons changed their name to the Cincinnati red legs and changed their color from red to blue. Lest the team be considered communist. That's insane. Yeah. And that's America, also- the land of the free. You mm-hmm. must think this way. Yeah. And, and to be explicitly political, this resonates because it is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, social media has allowed more people to tell their story. Uh, America is, a land of many different people uh, coming coming together uh, in in one nation, allegedly. Mm-hmm. And there are all sorts of people who just want to say, here's my experience. Maybe it's a little bit different than yours, but maybe there are some similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me tell you about what I've really experienced and how it's different in this angry reaction to mm-hmm. become great again, to go back to this fantasy where no one was different and mm-hmm. how essentially deeply anti-american that is mm-hmm. that we can be different we should be different and when somebody tells you what their life experience is they're giving you the gift of knowledge that mm-hmm. will that will dispel the myths and lead to connection and other people are trying to get you to believe that when somebody who's different than you just tells you their truth mm-hmm. that that it's this it's paranoia it's whispers trying to control you no it's just another person Mm. telling you their truth giving you the gift of knowledge and then you choose what to do with it you choose how it affects your life Mm. um but the the manipulation is the same as what's going on in this film it's the threat of the plot of Mm -hmm. uh the this idea that it's going to be this insidious control nobody's controlling you they're telling you their truth their knowledge and you choose how you respond yeah yeah so I think they have some things to say in this film. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, it, it, an offshoot of all this to mm-hmm. me that was really interesting in the film in, in you and I talked about it is uh, I think it's got that very traditional Lucas idea of, of individuality of, of free thinking mm-hmm. and knowledge is valuable. This film is certainly pro knowledge, 
but it's also uh, pro experiential uh, uh, wisdom of the, the wisdom you gain from actually doing something yourself. And you and I were joking about uh, the, the social media comment you saw like, Oh, it's the fifties. We've got to hear Elvis Presley to me. Th- this film starts with here's, here's the threat uh, rigid, angry, controlling militaristic group in, in rigid lockstep contrasted with individualism, free thought, fun it's it's you know it's it's hot it's a rock and roll hot rods drag racing a picture of america that's like here here are are parts uh, of this era that are maybe not perfect have a lot to criticize about them Uh, i'm not going to turn this into elvis presley center yeah yeah but we're coded parker center (laughs) colonel tom parker center but for like the point of that opening scene our coded is the antithesis Yes. Of that that rigid authority, that fear, that paranoia. With hey, I know you're supposed to ne- you're, you're supposed to go the exact uh, you know miles per hour that it says in your handbook. <laughs> but we're playing Elvis. We're having a fun time. We're checking out our hot rods. Come on, just drag yeah. race a little bit, and nothing bad comes of it. You know, it's 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 this sense, this contrast of of the free thinking versus the rigid and the controlling. Um, yeah, no, no, that's what's up on screen. And, and again, it could just be as simple as, um, you know, when, when you and I talk these themes, I, I don't always necessarily think that Spielberg is like, all right, we must choose Elvis because of this. It might just be because, well, it's 1957's Elvis. But I also think it's done with great purpose. Uh, you're going to watch. Think of what you and I were just talking about, the 1950s. Now you've got the youth emerging in their hot rods, watching this man gyrate his hips on the television. <laughs> that's against this vision of the perfect America, uh, chased America, 2.5 kids. I don't know how you get those kids if you don't watch those gyrating hips, but that's absolutely <laughs> what's going on there when those kids show up to to race the Russians. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it sets the tone, it sets the time, mm. and then there's things th- throughout it. Uh, there's always been a fun tension in the Indiana Jones films b- between the books and the swagger, between mm. the you know the the adventure and the academic. Uh, but a couple things pop up where where Indy's a little bit more forward on like. Yeah, you, you got to go out there and see things and experience things for yourself. Uh, knowledge and that knowledge can can lead to free thinking. Uh, it's a joke uh, because they're in the library. But, the you know, if you want to be a good archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. It's yeah. a meaningful line. Um, the back and forth about Mutt leaving college. But like it, it's like <laughs> I, I'm just kind of straight. He He's just kind of chafing against the, the structure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, against the rigidity. But then he's like, but I love reading and the, the fencing's great. I love I love knowledge and love having experience. And Indy's like, yeah, you go get some experience. It becomes a fun joke of go back to, to school. But I think yeah. the spirit of what he says the first time is is what he means is mm. the antithesis of paranoia, of fear, of of mind control is mm. thinking for yourself, experiencing things for yourself, deciding things for yourself. Um, yeah. and, and that I think that's really strong. In, in a film where mind control from a crystal skull obtained by the Russians is the actual threat of the plot. Mm-hmm. And then the also the threat of the plot is the actual uh, mind control paranoia going on yeah. from the Red Scare of America and the FBI. You know, it's funny you think of the knowledge and paranoia, but great stuff there too as well. But the knowledge and paranoia stuff plays out in the quicksand, dry sand conversation. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. I have the knowledge. It's dry sand. We don't have to worry unless, oh, poof. Well, I have the knowledge now. We can be paranoid. It's all <laughs> the stake there, even in the comedy. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great bit. Uh, that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think I think you know for me the knowledge versus paranoia is a huge thing. A couple other uh, things I want to talk mm-hmm. about, but I'm curious what other uh, ideas you wanted to focus on. Uh, I think generally all that I think a lot flows out of it. I, I put a lot down of, of the idea of family and, and connection, the pursuit of what's. Uh, you know, you got Mac and the pursuit of gold and money and glory. And, and I don't mean to diminish that. And I think you did a great job bringing it up early, but it's like, it's present in all these movies for good reason mm-hmm. and and where he ends up and what he's going through. And it, yeah, it does, does to me in, in, invoke uh, Dr. Elsa Snyder and uh, even some of the uh, Sapto and other guys uh, at the beginning of Raiders and all that. Uh, and, and the Nazis himself looking for that stuff. So I think it's uh, it's not something I want to brush over. But I, I, it's uh, to me there was bigger themes that uh, excited me in, in this film. But it's it's very clear with Mac and kind of what are you pursuing and why. Yeah, no, I I agree. I wrote down a couple of things about that. You know, ongoing investigation of you know what's the real treasure, the view of treasure hunting. Uh, Indy is accused of being a grave robber uh, again early on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's the actual sign of grave robbers will be yep. shot, and yep. you know, Indy always insists, "I'm not a grave robber, but we do need to go to this gravesite." Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a a nice joke about him being tempted to mm-hmm. uh, keep that knife, and I, I don't want to keep borrowing yours, but he puts it back. It's it's a very meta, like, okay, yeah, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't take that. And yeah, yeah. In the contrast of you know they're on the trail of uh, Oriana, uh, the gilded man, because he was so obsessed with gold. The the yeah. line of um, I believe from Charlie of there isn't a museum in the world that wouldn't sell its soul for this lot. Contrasted mm-hmm. with Indy's, you know, reverent knowledge was their treasure i don't think it's new or unique for this film i think it's in in place in all mm-hmm. the films i think mm-hmm. it's how is belloc a dark shadow from indy well because of this stuff uh, you know what did indy why does indy understand the true power of the shankara stones because they're about defense and protection not about you know, fortune in, in glory it, it's there the real treasure was reconnecting with my pop mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's present in all the films i think it's it's remixed here in a good way uh absolutely yeah yeah so for me the last big thing is the the family stuff and what's going on there and um i think it's why we kind of end up with the uh mm-hmm. <laughs> traditional uh union at the end is there's a real thing to me of of finding connection versus being alone Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie's got that great line early on. We seem to have reached the age where life stops giving us things and starts taking them away. Mm-hmm. You get the sense that Indy's in a sense of, of mourning. He, I mean, he, he ha- is literally mourning his dad and Brody. Uh, he can't trust his, his contemporaries, the, the, the um, the double crossed by Mac, um, the, the biting Charlie's head off and having to apologize right away. Uh, we eventually learn that, Indy ran away from the engagement to Marion, breaking it off a week earlier out of what you, I, I think is kind of implied to be fear of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you challenged me and, and I didn't, you were the one and that scared me. And so yep. I ran away and then I eventually realized I'm never really going to be happy because you were the one and, and I ran away and, mm-hmm. and even being uh, separated from Oxley because of some of his choices so you get a real sense of Indy being alone, disconnected. Mutt at, is motivated entirely by the loss and worry for Oxley and his mom. It's it's why he's there. Even the interdimensional beings, even the MacGuffin, hmm. all they want is to be back together again. Yeah. Uh, so I think it really sets up this this nice picture of 
uh, I think it, it dovetails with the the fear and paranoia and how it isolates you and, and makes you alone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, by the end, Indy is surrounded by family and, and pushing past his fear and got a, 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 a married to his, his OTP as the kids would say, today. uh, happy, happy to be a dad. No, no qualms about it. Pretty happy about it. And we get that, that button from Oxley, which it feels like a, a response to Charlie's line at the beginning where Oxley says how much of human life is lost in the waiting. God, that's a great line, right? It's a great line. And, and to me, and I think there's a lot of ways to interpret that line, for me, it's a personal line of, um, it's based out of fear, right? Fear of change, fear of chance, fear of risk, fear of redefining yourself. I, I go, I think you're absolutely right about Indy running away from Marion there. Um, it was, might've been too much. That's why this, this theme of, uh, kind of redefining your identity or I, I say redefining, but maybe finally defining it could be also a way to look at it. Um, and where Indy ends up, like I, I am an adventurer. I am a teacher. Uh, I can also try to be this partner and try to be a parent. And, 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 and that was, I waited too long, but now is now or never. I, I really love that moment. Line. I love that you put that down. So it's a deep line. Yeah. It's a really, it really affected me um, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. You know, I think, you know, being middle-aged, but also, you know, recently dealing with the, the loss of my father-in-law and, in in thinking about inevitably, um, even with a great relationship, what did I say? What, what, what didn't I say? What did I wait for? What am I waiting for now? What am I pushing away out of fear? Um, mm-hmm. it's really, it, it, it's simple, but it's really, I think, powerful and, and meaningful. And I think it makes a meal out of Indy and Marion being married. And, and it takes it away from the sort of, uh, fifties films where it's like, no matter how weird and deviant you get with the monsters, <laughs> <laughs> got to have a heterosexual union by the end. Uh, you know, it's, it's weird that those two things are sitting together, but it's almost like, I think it's, they're on separate thematic tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Much like the Indiana Jones ride, uh, right. Two tracks. Uh, no, I agree. <laughs> and, and it's very much uh, who Indy is, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. We have been, as we examine each of these films, uh, talking about the meaning of the title. Does this one have a greater depth or is it pretty straightforward for you? Um, it is about a kingdom of crystal skulls is what, no, um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's kind of straightforward and it's, and it's fun how they, how they arrived to it, uh, as well. So, uh, and, and the history of George wanting to do stuff with crystal skulls. This was the, uh, Indiana Jones Chronicles episode with a young Belog, uh, finding one of these, being obsessed with these. And then the note, and I'm sure you discovered too, but of uh, George insisting that kingdom be in the title. Uh, mm. uh, love that from the uh, the rebel in flannel. Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. There's sometimes I'm like, why isn't it just uh, a little bit more simple and direct, like the right, Crystal Skull? Right. Because it, it it isn't as evocative. And I think for me, I don't I don't have any sort of like deep. This is the the sublayer sublayer of meaning. But I do feel like kingdom gives it a different flavor because it really is about. Mm-hmm. Indiana Jones venturing into uh, a, a physically different world and a, a world of different beliefs and being open to that. He's entering a, a different kingdom of knowledge, a different kingdom mm-hmm. of understanding. Yeah, like that. All right. Well, if you are listening, when we have made this available to the public, we are going to take a quick break. If you're listening on Patreon, we will be back instantly. Back in a moment. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your break, Ken. I, I really did. I really did. Handled a couple of business emails, redefined my identity. It was great. 
<laughs> Are you a husband and father now? That was fast. <laughs> no, no. Well, we love talking about the big ideas of everything we discuss, uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, random songs from the 90s. We love talking about the big ideas, but we also like talking about all of the the fun stuff and maybe what ideas are attached to the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to discuss some favorite action moments in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, Ken, where do you go? Action moments. I got to start with a, kind of a general overview. Uh, I love the opening sequence. I really do. I love the car race for the depth that you and I were talking about for the Elvis Presley of it all uh, and just the energy there. Uh, I I love um, when we get to Area 51. I do love some good Area 51 lore and it just kind of works. I, I don't know, man. It's just a fun, fast paced sequence. Uh, uh, there's a great moment in there. My f- little beat is, is Mac, uh, after he's uh, revealed his turn and he's in the car and he's like, you don't know him. You don't know him. And, and I just, uh, it's a great, that's a, that's, a, that's the kind of indie friend I want to see. The one who's like, oh man, he's crazy. Um, so I'll start there. I just really love that opening sequence. I, I agree with you. And I think it is, to me, that isn't like nostalgia. Yep. We get the shot of the arc, which I I'm, I'm fine with like, yeah, maybe that's, you know, an Easter egg. It's not the first uh, arc Easter egg uh, mm-hmm. we, we've had. Um, there's the one in, in Last Crusade. Uh, but beyond that, it's it's Indy was mad about this back in the 30s that mm-hmm. the government's just kind of taking things and hoarding them, and you know mm-hmm. what? And and black black citing it of like you don't know what it is, and you don't get to know. And thank thanks for your work, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it sets the tone. I think for the film, for Indy to be like, uh, I've examined stuff in this place. I've collected stuff that's ended up mm-hmm. in this place. But now that um, that sort of uh, underbelly of the American government, we're, we're right in it mm. uh, and have an adventure in it is is fun. Um, the Weirdly, out of that whole opening scene, the beat that spoke to me the most, it's really small. And I, I love all the magnetic stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of whips, a lot of guns, cool, great, a lot of broken glass. It's that quick moment where Indy, with uh, no problem, just shoves Spalco out of the truck. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's not a big fight scene that will come that will come later uh, with uh, swords and his son. It, it's just a boop, get out of here. <laughs> That's and I love the pretty consistent, like you know, hey, uh, I'm not. Uh, th- there's uh, there's no gender dynamics there, like. Mm-hmm get out of the truck. I do this to Bellic and I'll do it to you. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's great. Yeah. 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 Well, I was going to say too, as far as the, the, the arc uh, reference, uh, I loved it in theaters. I loved it now. Like I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't have to be taken anything more than what it is. Um, that to me is a fun, I don't even call those Easter eggs. I think that the term Easter egg is so misused these days, but yeah, uh, which is fine. Sometimes words and phrases get redefined and, and that's okay. It's, it's part <laughs> of the thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's fun and that's okay every now and then. I love it. Yeah. I think at some point in my mind when I hadn't seen it for years, there, there was like an Indiana Jones double take in it. Mm. And I love that. It's just, it's almost just there for us, the audience to know that, this to be reminded this place is full of incredibly deadly items yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could go off you know at any mm-hmm. moment is mm-hmm. it's a fun nod and it's it raises the the tension for me yeah I'm with you on that. where do you go next i jump all the way well not all the way it's not too far this movie moves i'd say pretty fast it's longer than the other ones right all all, all indies indie movies have that 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 wonderful breakneck speed in, and, and and this one 
you, you look you look down, you look up, you're like, oh, so oh, we're in Peru already. Like it, it moves fast. So, anyways, um, side note for myself. But jumping ahead, I I actually really enjoy. There's going to be a lot in comedy, but the the greaser versus jock fight into the agent chase um, is kind of it's like classic indie in the time period that mm-hmm. this film's set in, and I really I really like it. And um, uh, I, I think even just in terms of um, you know, indie movies have that tradition of the the expedition exposition scenes, and I, I think that cafe scene is a great expedition scene between the two of them. Like, that gets a lot done. Oh yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I remember in two thousand eight, I think uh, when I did engage in any conversations, I would just tell people how much I loved, and it felt like absolutely classic indie in the bike scene where he gets off the bike into the car, punches a few people, gets out the other side and back on the bike again. Like that's, that's classic India switching mm-hmm. vehicles during a chase. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the feet dragon. I love that beat in this whole thing. Uh, was great. Uh, I'm going to jump back to the uh, infamous nuke scene. Um, mm-hmm. Again, as always, if it doesn't work for you, uh, so be it. We're all different. Uh, but in the, obsession with whether or not it works it's realistic too realistic uh takes you out of the fantasy the way all that is shot and the um the classic adventure serial of it of Mm -hmm. oh i escaped this one thing now i'm into this even bigger problem i remember in the theater in 2008 before the escape happened i was like this is the greatest thing ever and it's shot so well how creepy it is his realization Mm -hmm. his desperation uh, that scene as a is an action scene that's just building tension is phenomenal and and it does fit in so much to everything we're talking about by the end of the film uh indy uh, out of true desire for connection is happy to push past his fear and his paranoia and and be married and have a son and have these new identities that you're talking about but then there's this great weird reflection of this of this is america's greatest fear mm-hmm. that something would would uh disrupt this artificially constructed version of what America is of the perfect family in a suburb where no problems can be spoken about. We don't have any problems. Our only problem is that that outsiders might destroy this. Yeah. That gets set up by the, the nuke scene as well. So Mm -hmm. I I do love the nuke scene. Uh, Yeah. I think there's a lot to it. And uh, yeah, yeah. It set me on that rabbit hole of uh, just researching a lot of that too. Just crazy stuff. Yeah, bonkers, scary, weird stuff. Uh, what are more action beats for you? Um, I, so I did. I did. Uh, my note was just this: the fridge scene, you jerks. So I still like. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I apologize. Jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, oh, that's fine. A couple things there. I like. There's the moment when they're both. Um, this is the post reveal of Marion, post reveal of Mutt being his son, and they're having the. Um, I think the great argument there, which is also it's very real, but it also serves as distraction to escape and and and, and indy kicks uh, the russian and then uh uh shia uh, imat does as well and it's it's totally like a like a father like son moment i thought it was uh, in perfect concert with each other i love that kind of beat coming out of that kind of banter between especially it's marion and then uh, i love that so uh, i love that uh, escape because indy's always got to find a way to escape you know and, and sometimes it it's dumb luck and other times it's uh, an opportunity he takes or a risk and i love it yeah, and I, I love how much like there's there's uh, that father son dynamic and resistance and and mm-hmm. back and forth and that then yeah let's <laughs> have a nice father son bonding moment by mm-hmm. kicking a guy in the head in the exact same way oh yeah. yeah that's genetic mm-hmm. um I, I really um like 
the uh, the scene in w- w- when they're f- on their way to finding uh, or- Orlana's uh, corpse. Mm-hmm. Um, the we can talk about the um, the real world politics of the, the um, deeply ambiguous indigenous people mm-hmm. and and their fates uh, in this film. Uh, so I'll I'll put an asterisk there, mm-hmm. but uh, the descending into this uh, temple and there's uh, terrifying figures and skull masks and the indie move of blowing the dart back. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm, I'm troubled by some of it, but the action moments great. And that's one of those other beats of when I was rewatching this film after many years ago and like, what, what the hell was the problem? That's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, it's not just a fresh controversy about this scene uh, back, uh, back in the day, 2008, uh, um, this was part of it. I think uh, even uh, Peru uh, itself had something to say about this, if I remember. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that, but it does not surprise me. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But 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 the sequence itself, it's 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 got a great horror vibe to be as well. I remember it, it, the trailer. Maybe it was a trailer where they revealed some of this, and uh, it, it's uh, it's spooky in a, in a very Temple of Doom way, and I, and I like that part of it. In a great growing moment where mm-hmm. there's that great shot of Indy up there triumphant and, and my, I mean, you're, you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, I'll jump way ahead uh, now, Ken, to, to the infamous, maybe sword fight. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. I, I really, I really like the actual sword fight. I mm-hmm. love a lot of that chase and I love a lot of the, um, not <laughs> just getting pummeled like his old man mm-hmm. uh, by Spalco, but you know he's been tooting his horn about his uh, fencing skills and the great jokes about his mom kind of coaching him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sword fight itself is great, mm-hmm. uh, and for anybody who listens to Force Center regularly and is sometimes like, I wish they talk about what they don't like. It's your lucky day. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd love one crotch shot to mutt. <laughs> <laughs> What feels like twenty-seven crotch shots uh, mm-hmm. are not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is one of those moments uh, that you look at uh, the era. Um, I think for me, um, looking at it a little bit today, this was the scene was always going to be in the movie, but uh, kind of in the shooting process, uh, Spielberg had the idea of what should be on cars, right? Um, mm-hmm. To me, that has a little bit of that energy of, well, cause we can do that now. Like it's going to look better. Uh, and, and yeah, you know what, if they maybe tried this in 1980 uh, or in the late seventies shooting Raiders, maybe it actually would have been two stunt people on cars fighting a uh, moving, right. Uh, moving cars. And this is, this is a different vibe. It's, it's put together differently. I, I, I get that. So I think that's why it rubs for me as well. Um, I think it's more dynamic than being on the ground. Uh, and my point, all that is, is yeah, this is like, you know, going to the monkey. We want to jump to the monkeys. I, I don't. I love monkeys. I don't love the monkey swinging stuff, as as uh, maybe as other people do. But I think again, it's one of those things. To for what we can, why can't we? We can do it. Mm-hmm. Let's try. And I don't. I don't fault that spirit. Um, I just think uh, over the years, uh, you know, the nuke fridge takes the headlines, which is not fair to the scene. I don't think. But I think this is some of the stuff. But this wasn't just the film. Right. And, and, and this still, you know, this conversation pops up again with some of the Marvel stuff. Uh, big you know, third act fights might all have a, you know, blah, 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 Transformer fights. And it's so confusing. And 
you know, it's not muddy, even muddy. CGI. Yeah. Yeah. P- pacing of editing always changes over time. Seriously, go back to a film in, you know, <laughs> 1961. This would have been a slow fight with a lot of dialogue. It, it just, we speed up as society. That's fine. So anyways, uh, I'll end my kind of rambling uh, thing there. I'm with you on it. The whole sequence works for me on paper. Like we said up top, I just think, yeah, this is, this was a lot of what was going on at the time in, in, in film and, and still at times happens. Yeah. In my memory, the entire thing is a, a little over CGI'd, mm-hmm. but watching it again, is like the actual sword fight when the cars are close together. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great action adventure. And you, if you're going to have a sword fight, you should always be in a high place or physically moving on a vehicle. Yeah. It always, it always, you know, yeah. is fun escalation. It's, it, it really is those, those crotch shots. It's, it's the mm-hmm. repetition of the joke. It's the fact that he, full on grabs himself, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, if it was mm-hmm. one, you know, in the eighties, it, it would have been a stunt person with some, you know, huge, <laughs> wad of, yeah. you know, newspaper and, you know, they would have, <laughs> somebody else would have been in a car and would have just mm-hmm. <laughs> whapped that man, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the, it's the fact that it goes on and on. It, and for me, it doesn't work as a joke and, and you feel the CGI much more. To the point where I rewatched the actual sword fight. Like, that's great. It's the crotch yeah. shots that are the problem for me. Yeah. Again, I, yeah, for me, uh, just overall how things how things were, were packaged. Even to, um, you know, the ants uh, scene. Uh, I don't, it's not even that it's one step too far for me. I mean, it's creepy in a wonderful way. But like, you know... Uh, it's that it's that weird but it's that weird debate like we said up top of of well i like practical you don't necessarily like practical you just like the way it felt or looked you know yeah. um this is the old phantom menace had more practical shots than the other blah 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 those kind of things that go on um bb8's practical for one out of every 10 shots you know it's just like it's a weird talking point but like yeah it just stood out and i and i it stood out in 2008 to me and it still stands out to me now on paper again every indie film has its creep moment right mm-hmm. rats and, and snakes and, and bugs and tarantulas and, and this movie ants uh, killer ants big damn ants and uh so i think it it works for me uh it just it is again uh, i'll say of, of its time and and, and and it falls short at the end for me. yeah you know what that one just that one didn't because i was so into it um mm-hmm. I forgot. I remember that they fight in a clearing, but it's like, how does that happen? Uh, Oxley using the skull. It, it, mm-hmm. I like the whole. That. I think I like. I think I like the big damn ant fight because the whole thing is so pulpy. Of mm-hmm. even these ants are like, no. <laughs> yeah, we know to avoid that. We don't want to stare into that. That that's what creates the fighting room. And then I, I you know, I'd gone into this trying to remember how much does Kingdom of the Crystal Skull bring back some of the darker pulpier elements that are there in Raiders and then amped up in Temple of Doom and I like it's that that it's not just that they devour him mm-hmm. but that they carry him off to parts <laughs> unknown for reasons unknown uh, my pulp loving heart just really responded to that this what, time around would you call it some kind of ant hell like a- some kind of a big damn ant hell <laughs> I've heard that bedtime story the ants get you down there yeah they crawl on your body and they animate you yeah. Uh, so moving on from the ant fight, uh, I got a couple more. How about you? Uh, I, you know, I did put in there, uh, there's some great comedy in it too, uh, but I, I do like the dry sand rescue. It, it's, uh, 
it's 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 got a, some go, old classic tension for me as well, uh, and and I enjoyed that as well. I wanted to highlight that scene. I like that. Yeah, no, it's it's really good, and that's a a great moment to have uh, the revelation and all that. Um, I like I like that Marion. I kind of wish Marion got a few more a- action beats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I really I like her um driving the car boat off the cliff. That that's a favorite mm-hmm. action moment. Mm-hmm. Well, especially there's a little, I don't, I don't think it's a super intentional, uh, but there's a little bit of mom, dad and kid out for a drive and there's some arguing and I'll stop this car vibe and don't go that way, honey. It, 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 yeah. I liked it in a way. Yep. Yep. That, that is great. Um, uh, this is oh, stretching the definition of action, but I love the shot of the interdimensional beings becoming one. Um, mm-hmm. It's very pulpy. It is playing with these, these themes of, you know, what is sort of, communism group think McCarthyism to be feared in what is um, coming together and, and being stronger out of being united. And that, that, uh, that way to look at humanity is mm-hmm. we are all part of one large construct, which that idea is, is so prevalent in, in star Wars. And, and there's nothing about the international interdimensional beings that's being presented as dangerous group think it's about this, next level evolution where we can be independent beings, but also one And the shot is cool. And the idea is cool to me. Yeah, no. And, 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 and it's, uh, yeah, aligns with the, the, what they're trying to, uh, get to in terms of the fifties films, but the idea and yeah. And I, you know, that was one of the first, um, this ending and everything, and it, it, it's, it is big, right. And, and, you know, if, if you're not expecting the film to go the way I get, I get, you might not like this, might not like the whole movie, but you might not like this uh, MacGuffin and all that kind of things. And I've even seen Spielberg have some, you know, I know people don't like the MacGuffin, you know, but this was one of the first cracks in the critiques for me of, again, that's why I go to the 1950s sci-fi thing of, well, yeah, that, that's what they were doing. <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. this is about. Like you just, you, you know, Molarov pulled a heart out. An 800 year old knight was waving at you. Now there's aliens. Uh, what else? Why wouldn't you expect that? I don't know. I don't know. It, it you know, it just some. That, and so that's when you're. And we're not talking 2008. We're talking like 2014, 2015, 2016. I kind of had this like, well, wait a minute. Like, why was that rejected? It, maybe it's the look, feel. I don't know. And, and again, but this is Indiana Jones, right? This wasn't. Yeah. This wasn't Air Force Two, <laughs> the sequel where aliens suddenly showed up. Yeah, to me, it, it's it's that I that exploration, that sense of play of why not of mm-hmm. that it, it's in line to me with all the other. I, I understand people who are like, I like I like my genres separate. It, it's like not wanting you know dishes on your plate to run together. And like mm-hmm. some people are like yeah, let them run together. Yeah, but other people yeah. like if if my applesauce touches beans. I'm throwing this entire plate away, you know? <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of that energy of this is science fiction in that in Indiana Jones is not science fiction. And if the people, anybody feels that way, fair enough, then this movie might not be for you. But from my perspective, all of the genre that they're, they're building from the, the pulps, the paperbacks, the adventure serials, they all have this same idea that Indiana Jones has of, what if there what if there's truth to the bedtime stories what if there is something more slightly outside of our understanding out there and that extends to um ancient stones that can protect a village and mm-hmm. cults that can summon powers from ancient gods to to 
you know, uh, knights that can live forever to actual blessings from biblical artifacts, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, all of all of those things. And to me, it's like, yeah, they're interdimensional beings. Ultimately, it's this idea of something, something more out there that there's a whole pantheon of otherworldly ideas and they're all, all valid in this world. Mm-hmm. No, well said. And, and, and just so I don't sound like a complete grump and everything, it, 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 you know, personal taste and all that stuff. I, I totally get it. It's just, um, so I'm not pushing back. And again, if you don't like this movie for X number of reasons, you don't like this ending, you don't like the, the interdimensional beings being there. Totally fine. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it was just one, it's just one of those things of, of this is kind of the stuff you're signing up for with this series. Um, yeah. So there you go. I don't know. No, I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. I get, and I get grumpy about the same thing too, of, of, you know, many things when they, when they tell you what they are, it's okay if you don't like them, but, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it, it embrace them for what they are. And that's what this is. And yeah. it's never not going to be that. Yeah, and I, I look. I think part of it is you look at Raiders. Raiders is is a little more grounded all the way through. Uh, you know, we discussed even the characters of Brody and Sala are a little played a little differently in Last Crusade. I think they're just extensions of the characters, and we got to spend more time with the characters. But uh, and I think they're also damn funny. But I, I, I get that, you know. But even Raiders ends, and, and you know, where, wherever you stand on 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 the Bible or religious beliefs, that could be completely. Um, as crazy as aliens to you as well. But I, I just I, sometimes maybe that comes from Raiders. Playing it a little straight until then. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but it's still there. It's still present. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just a little bit, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, darker. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, this is plenty dark for me. My, that's my final action beat that I like is the destruction of Spalco. <laughs> um, that's great. And this is, this is very directly now, now we're into cosmic horror. This is very directly what's at stake in, in mm-hmm. uh, the Lovecraftian pantheon. Mm-hmm of uh outer gods uh, of cthulhu where uh the the fear and the paranoia there is that the characters in lovecraft stories are are often um uh, academics and intellectuals who think that they have categorized the world and that there's nothing out of their understanding and then there are these these uh beings from other realms that are literally beyond comprehension and they're awful but it's also this sense that it's awful that there could be something that I can't ever fully wrap my head around and control. Mm-hmm. And Spalco's destruction is about the, well, they're playing fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and if she was like, I would like to know, you know, uh, what happens 100 years from now or who wins the Cold War? Uh, they probably would have just told her, but she wanted everything. Yeah. And it isn't that they gave her the history of Earth. Mm-hmm. It's that they gave her everything from every uh, dimension of reality every unknowable impossible mm-hmm. thing more than any one being is meant to contain mm-hmm. uh it, it's such a cosmic horror idea and i i really love it i i love it her, her line i want to know everything i want to know i i, I really um enjoy it. it it's thematically rich uh, like you're saying here and just uh, how you use knowledge, how you're gonna how you're gonna swing that knowledge stick might be also what's going on there. Um, but also, and again, I, I, I'm sorry to beat this drum, but how is this any? Um, I don't know. How's it any worse than than Paul Freeman's head exploding? Or, excuse me, a clay model of Paul Freeman's head exploding. And and this is one of those things of uh, I hear you know, ah CGI CGI and everything. Totally. And we just discussed some of the parts where maybe it didn't work for us, but. I don't know. It is pretty cool. <laughs> it's, I, it's 
very cool. Work, I watched Toad's work, head burn off. You know? Yeah, w- works great for me. I like. I, I love it. Like yeah. my favorite action moments. I mean, watching uh, Walter Donovan get old in seconds is terrifying to me. It also looks like a Tim Burton, uh, early Tim Burton film. You know, and, and it's just because you couldn't do much <laughs> more than that. It would that moment would look like this now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other action moments for you before we move on to comedy? Uh, no, sir. Well, let's talk comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. Overall, I really, I, I still think for me, L- uh, Last Crusade is probably the funniest, but this had mm-hmm. a lot of great uh, one-liners. And and in some ways, I think this one had even more one-liners that kind of had a, a little bit of a, a depth to them or a twist or a surprise. Mm, yeah. No, I like that. Uh, no, I, I had a lot of a lot of things down here. One of my first early ones was Drop the Guns or Colonel Dr. Spocko is dead. I just thought that was fine. And <laughs> the delivery and the dismissive <laughs> tone behind Indy's voice was great. Yeah, I, my first is early on of put your hands down. Well, yeah, you're embarrassing us. Like, yeah, I love indies like, yeah, I've been around, including like, I know how to surrender to Russians and you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a great one for me. Uh, what are some some others for you? Uh, I'm on board with the I like Ike line. I think that's uh, funny and timeless uh, in a lot of weird ways. I enjoy that. Um, also, just like one of those, like, if that's... Is that, is that what you're going to say is your last words? Like, it's a joke. It's, it's, it works for me there. Uh, and then uh, I, I love it. It was a trailer moment I remember too, but uh, I don't know. Indiana Jones swinging on the light, missing, falling back near the truck and saying, damn, I thought that was closer. Uh, you know, this, you know, I know we got a fifth movie coming out with, with Indy even, even being older, but like this, this was what this movie was also about. He's the hero, but he's also older. And, and there was something I, I really enjoyed about that moment. Yeah. And I, and I like that it wasn't a, he was swinging and his back went out it's yes right he he would have made this kind of mistake uh previously perhaps Mm -hmm. uh and they just didn't move away from the the age thing like you know uh, not as easy as it used to be you know set up and and there is some great stuff i remember harrison ford saying it at the time and and reading it again about like um i don't want to ignore my age i'm not dying my hair i want people to think about age differently and uh hey uh some success there yeah. <laughs> i don't think it's just this film but yeah that's great yeah. That. um i really like the low scrub for radiation um <laughs> to me that this this film is to my taste an example of how to do a crotch joke an example of how not to do a crotch joke yeah yeah <laughs> and the low scrub for radiation is just it's all in the face it's all in the sort of like uh the how um rude it is uh mm-hmm. and how exciting it is and the pulling it up um mm-hmm. versus the continued cgi whacking and yeah. the physical grab yeah yeah love that um love that moment too uh in in that uh when the agents show up uh, and, and Neil Flynn, who was what on Scrubs, right, was where kind of was known, um, especially at the time. Uh, I love it. It's such a callback to William Hookins line, but when he says uh, to Indy, of great interest, it's very much top men to me. And I, I just thought mm. like there. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, I, uh, for, for me, I jumped a, a little bit ahead for my next one mm-hmm. of that. What you were saying of the the good exposition scene, the good fight scene yeah. in in the restaurant. Uh, I really liked Indy's delivery on hit this guy. Joe oh. College hit him hard. <laughs> I love it. No, right? I love it. I love it. 
I love it. And, uh, and that, uh, Sasha Spielberg is the girlfriend of that scene. She's the one that punches shot. Um, uh, I love that joke. And that, and that's what he's listed at the credits. Joe college. Joe college. Yeah. I laughed enough at just hit this guy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so, uh, indie. It's so Harrison Ford and it. It's, I think it's extra funny to me because we're in this moment, we're really seeing indie through Mutt's eyes of like, mm-hmm some academic is totally out of touch, you know, mm-hmm. with his a uh, hep young man ways that it's got to be so unexpected for, for mm-hmm. Mutt. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I have, I have a lot of Mutt stuff earlier of just even showing up on, on the bike and, 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 you know, doing the Marlon Brando thing there and uh, Hey, old man on the train is, is, a, is something we all will face if you have an old, oh, yes. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, and that whole sequence, the Indian Mutt talking, uh, and then the, you, know, you got the him taking the the beer bottles and Indy replacing them in the cafe. He has mm-hmm. the line and maybe think going back a bit what we were saying of where he says like, "Ah, you're a teacher. That's going to be a big help." Uh, <laughs> Oxley and his mom have sent him to this man that he knows nothing about, and and he's expecting you know he's expecting a, a Jedi Knight. And he just got Yoda. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what's uh what? Where do you go from here? Oh well, I'm sorry. There's another line there I love too. It's such a it, it's it's an indie line, but maybe I realized it's a line I would say, and that's why I like to do it. Just see those two bricks at the counter. I don't think they're here for the milkshakes. I just something I really <laughs> love about that. Uh, you mentioned earlier, but the Soviet agents kind of running into the uh, Red Scare protest before running into Marcus Brody's statue. <laughs> I think back in 2008, I thought, oh, Marcus Brody's uh, statue and head saved the day. But uh, I think uh, the better dead than red protest uh, as Russians run through it is pretty fascinating. Too. Yeah, yeah, I, and and I do like in the library when it's it's Colin Hanks, right? Who's a yes? I think I read in the wiki who's asking <laughs> for yeah. some advice, and yeah, it, it's yeah. De- it's definitely heightened. You know, no reaction to the fact that he slid through in a motorcycle, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, love that. Um, in that, I'm trying to think. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I lost my. Um, oh, you know what? Is it? Is it? I was looking. Is it? Uh, I think it might be Chet Hanks. Not Colin. Chet Hanks, yes. Yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. You, yeah, I just, you know, it's funny. I saw that in an article a month ago and I couldn't remember who it was and you were right there. Uh, Hanks. Uh, the, in this, the, the, the Wilhelm scream showing up being, but being used by a student about to be hit by the motorcycle is hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> Such a like, hey, we're going to put it in here. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, it, it makes sense to me that it is, is, you know, as much as I love it, of it being retired because you really do hear it these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly where it is, but uh, Mutt says to Indy, what are you like 80? Yep. Which is a mildly funny line to me, given just this film, but the fact that uh, <laughs> Dial of Destiny, he is like exactly yeah. 80. Mm-hmm. It, it really made me laugh and it made me smile because I really do think it, It, it mm-hmm. you know, I remember in 2008, like how ancient 60-year-old Harrison Ford is going to be Indiana Jones again. And now we're all pretty like, yeah, yeah, man. And then look, look at what Liam Neeson's been doing. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Here we go. No, it's a reminder of both how time can move fast, but also try to be present to where you are. Because, yeah, you look, I even watching uh, this movie, uh, Christmas Skull, I was like, oh, look how, how, long, how young Indy looks. <laughs> just, oh, you know, so be where you yeah. are. Be there now, friends. Yeah. Oh, I love that line, too. Yeah. Don't, don't spend uh, your entire life feeling old before you are. Because, mm-hmm. yep. You'll, you'll look back on those photos where like, hey, I, I felt so old. Oh, I look so young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. 
Um, I really like the grave robbers will be shot sign uh, after all of the people throughout the films accusing him of being a grave robber um, and then having it come true of like by by poison darts, but they will be shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one was good for me. And I I mentioned already, but I really like that you're you're a teacher and then the part time, which I think was a real, a real trailer moment uh, back in 2008. But it is one of my favorite things about Indy, the the books and the swagger and that they're both part of his character and Mm -hmm. and how much people to your point about identities, how how, what a hard time people have reckoning with his sort of dual identities. Mm, Yeah. And and once again, you see all all through this movie. uh, the professor side of him is uh, tremendously important to Indy as it, as it always has been. Yeah. Yeah. Including he gets a little bit more pedantic in the field, like uh, mm-hmm. talking about the difference between uh, uh, quicksand yeah. and dry sand. Oh yeah. No, I love that. And the, and, and the motorcycle scene in the, in the hall. Yeah. With that, with the Hank scene. I'd love that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more for me right in this area is uh, when they are making the discoveries of some of the, the drawings and the crystal skull and, and Mutt says, no, 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 God's head isn't like that. And, and Indy's got that great, depends on who your God is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's a funny line to me because it it, it's almost played like a tough guy line. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you how it is, kid. Uh, but a lot of times when gruff older men are telling you like how it is, <laughs> they're not actually making an argument for a uh, diversity of perspective, which is what's going on in, in the line. Well, yeah. And, and I, I, to me, there's a direct call out to young Indiana Jones Chronicles with the Pancho Pancho Villa stuff. Uh, but this to me is, is, is reminiscent of the, of, of the lessons learned with the Leo Tolstoy episode. And even from Lawrence of Arabia of different uh, perspective, uh, perspectives from different religion and religious beliefs. So I, I think that rings very true for Indy. I think it's a great little moment. Yeah, and I and I think it really I think there's great episodes to call out, and you know mm-hmm. he's had experiences with things like the Shankara stones, and like there's mm-hmm. a lot of beliefs, and they all have power. Yep, yep, yeah. Uh, where do you go from here? Uh, I do. You mentioned I enjoy him putting the knife back. I was just gonna borrow it. Oh, I, 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 I'll put it back. I love that. There. Yeah, mm, it's funny. Great delivery. Yeah, uh, I like when he's being ter- interrogated by Spalco, and she's kind of explaining. Uh, it's like a second exposition scene there, and he just goes, "There's saucermen from Mars," uh, <laughs> and it's it's both works for me of a reminder of what this film is is going for in a lot of ways, but also it's one of those moments where, and there's sometimes that tension with the character of Indiana Jones, where it's just like, you seem to not to believe in a lot of things, yet you've also witnessed everything. <laughs> like it's fascinating. So I always want to say to him, like, why wouldn't it be saucermen, Indy? Yeah. And even a couple of beats later, there's a fun thing where she's talking, you know, ranting about using its power. And he's like, mm. not a good idea. And it's kind of got yeah. the little head shake. And that it seems like he's like he's picturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess he can't picture it because his eyes were closed. Uh, yeah. But I think he's picturing what he saw when he opened his eyes at the end of Raiders. Yeah. Like, all right. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's great. Um, once we get into the the Marion stuff, I feel bad I didn't write down uh, is uh much stuff because I just got caught up in it. But mm-hmm. I treasure Indy's reaction to seeing Marion. Like, mm, yeah, there's about to be the beat coming up. The you know great standard comedy beat where Indy assumes she's running to him and then runs to Mutt and figures it out and all yeah. that. But when he sees Marion come out of the tent and he's got this giddy reaction like a kid. Mm. It's a real uh, change of tone, and, and I think it's just a great acting moment by Harrison Ford because it's funny, but it also it, it tells the story of he's maybe been pining for her a little bit, and yeah. you know, beating himself up for letting the one get away. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and I think Karen Allen's so great in this, in this role. And I, I think going back to 2008, I, I didn't, um, I didn't focus on that as much. Um, you know, and I agree. You, you said maybe a couple more action beats or something like that, but she's, she's real present in the film, right? She, she's there. Yeah, she's yeah. on the adventure in the end. And, uh, I think, I think I overlooked that 2008 a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of their banter is, is really great. I feel bad. I didn't, uh, I didn't have time to go back and, and mm-hmm. write down, uh, my individual, f- uh, favorites, but I, I love that they're excited to see each other. They're mad at each other. There's, you know, everything it's, you know, it's right back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, one of my favorite little moments is when he, you know, he has the, you know, they all have the same problem. They weren't you. And they do that. They're looking at, at at Mutt and they pan over to her and she's just got that big smile. It's, it's Indiana. It's 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 so good. Um, I, I I like the beat of him needing to call the snake a rope. That that is really mm-hmm. funny to me. Of like, it's always been part of the charm of Indiana Jones as he is this uh, fantasy, uh, you know, adventurer and a lot of a lot of masculine stuff going on. But he's always been fallible, and mm-hmm. this was a fresh way to get into the uh, the snake thing. You're like, call yeah. it a rope, call it a rope, call it a rope. Love that. Yeah. Uh, I just got a couple more. How about you? Uh, same, Sam. I do like his line to Oxley. Uh, you were never this interesting. Uh, it was funny to me. Uh, <laughs> the quicksand lesson is, is great. It, again, I think it's uh, thematically rich, but also just uh, really funny too. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, final one for me is uh, big damn ants. Go. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is great. Mm-hmm. I'm just be saying that all the time now. Big damn ants. Yeah. Uh, just as a swear. Uh, two more for me. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this, about the kind of the back and forth of like, you know, Indy can be skeptical because I think he, I think he just, he hears so many myths and we, we hear the ones where he finds some truth in them, but there's some other mm-hmm. where he, he, he BS, right? So he's always a little, mm. uh, but by the time they're actually standing before 13 <laughs> crystal skulls of mm-hmm. interdimensional beings, there's crystal skeletons and uh, Spoko says something to him about not believing and he, he's got that great Oh, I believe, sister. That's why I'm back here. <laughs> I love what I love. <laughs> Sisters, it's a honey to, to marry it. I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's old school, but I like it. It is old school. And my final favorite beat is a great Marion beat of uh, not waiting uh, for their permission to go in for the kiss, right? Or not yes. letting, uh, uh, taking the lead. Taking, taking the, the lead. lead. Taking the lead. Yeah, it's so great. Great that. Uh, all right, we are heading toward the end. Is there anything that you struggled with or, or, or questioned in the film? I know. I think I put on the table some of the big things that I, I call it the 2008 of it all. And, and I, I mean, seriously, it's, it's a, you know, you, there's great years to celebrate in, in film and music. Um, 1999 for films, a fascinating year to study. Uh, all those years. 2008 is an interesting year. Go back and look mm. what came out. Go look at, at where we are now and how that's one of the years where that, where we are now kind of really started to take hold. And this is part of it. And I think, so the, I think therefore the movie sometimes gets overlooked. I think the movie gets undervalued because of a lot of the stuff in that era. Um, it, this, it, this compared to a dark night, um, I, I, I get, I get it right. It look, it feels and looks different. And Nolan was doing his thing. This movie's doing its thing. And so, especially if you're, you know, late twenties, early thirties, you, you, you might want a little bit more of Nolan at this time in your life. And that's completely fair. Um, uh, and I, and I did too. Casino Real. I keep going back to that. No stick, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a little different. And and dark and gritty emerged from this year to me. 
<laughs> like that it was present before. Yes, to be clear, Batman begins as well. But like that, that being a talking point or a desire kind of is one of the things that spills out of this year. And, and this movie was up against that, I think, uh, more than maybe we gave credit at the time or knew at the time we had the benefit of history. Um, and so therefore some things that I, I struggle with or question just is, is, is how it looks and how it feels, not necessarily what they were going for. Yeah. Love the ideas. Um, love the tone, the pacing, the dialogue, uh, the character ideas, all, all the wrestling with the big ideas we talked about. And yeah, I do feel a, a little bit of the, the difference of not being on location as much and not have, having some of those as rich, just, you know, big widescreen Vista shots of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of a real place and all that. Um, we mentioned it, but uh, I think the Indiana Jones, we've talked about it in greater depth, Temple of Doom, the Indiana Jones uh, series, I think has always has some moments where in my opinion, its heart is in the right place in the way it talks about what are real treasures. And more often than not, India is trying to return and restore and respect things. Uh, but that said, with the updating of the adventure serial, there are those moments where uh, tropes, uh, less sensitivity ab about real people in the real world uh, are, are getting updated and, and brought into the present of the time. And I think in this one in particular, it just feels like, well, we, we want him to be in a temple in South America and we want something scary. So here's ambiguous South American uh, indigenous people. And mm -hmm. uh, yes, it's self-defense, but the, the, People in the skull mask in that scene that I otherwise love are just they're defending yeah. their space. Yeah. Um, and yes, it's the it is the uh, the the Soviets who who viciously slaughter the other large group of indigenous people we meet, but it's still just slaughter of indigenous people, which uh, that that is, that's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then um, the ongoing uh, conversation. Yeah. An ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. Um. And there, yes, I, I, I will uh, let people with a more, even more and better perspective uh, say more than than it just. It's a bummer. Mm -hmm. um, the the other thing for me is uh, I refreshed myself on all of the ups and downs of uh, Sheila Booth's uh, career, mm -hmm. and, and that's a little bit of a bummer. There's a you know mm -hmm. a, a history of uh, of uh, strange plagiarism, um, mm -hmm. a history of uh, assault charges, a, a trial that's coming up um mm -hmm. you know messy split from the recent film don't worry darling like uh, uh yeah from from the outside without making any huge judgments just definitely does seem like a a person who is uh who is struggling uh in yep. in in that struggle uh other people are perhaps uh being hurt so that's a bummer yeah no it's a bummer and i i i'm for one you know um I think he's a, a really fantastic actor and I love so much of what's done in this film and, and uh, that should not um, uh, hide anything else that's happened. And, and, uh, and, and I don't intend to say, I don't say that with that intention, but um, uh, I, I think even at the time in 08, and he had some comments, uh, you know, of, I let, I let the legacy doubt or say, so you can basically, you know, talk down at this movie based on the reaction and, and then kind of got a talking to from Harrison Ford and Spielberg and he's later addressed that as well. But um you know, I, I think you, I think you really did a great job in this film. So yeah, I agree with that. And, and yeah, the bigger picture is, is, is something to be aware of as well. Yeah, I agree. I really like, I like the choice of the character of let's, let's make him have plenty of the, the spirit of his father, but he is of his time. And, uh, mm -hmm. the, a little bit of like Indy can look at him and go, what, what is this kid doing? Why mm -hmm. did he just dip a 
comb and soda pop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's with the kids these days? I like the choice to not to make him have the spirit of Indy, but totally the expression of his time. And I think the the choice to to have him be present, be a huge part of the film, but really have it be the film is still about mm-hmm. Indiana Jones. I think he I think he plays it really well to be a main character, but there's no sense to me even the last shot is joking around with it. There's no sense that this is the setup for future Indiana Jones. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I, yeah, I remember that was, I, I understand why that'd be the thought, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I don't even remember, I'd lo- and I don't mean this is a challenge, or, or I'd love someone to p- pull an article or, or any, any news from the day where this was ever thought of. I don't really think that was the case. I think it had more meaning yeah. for what you're talking about if this is Indy's story. Um, I, again, it would make sense. I get why you think that from the shot. You got this at the time, you know, younger, hot actor, uh, you know, a hot commodity in Hollywood. And you, let's continue it in this way. There was rumors that uh, there was more rumors to me of them doing that, looking to do that with River Phoenix, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a tragic death. I just, I don't remember at the time. I think we felt that. But this this is like, this is like when we would face uh, the last Jedi arguments of like, oh, now Broom Kid's going to be the star of the next one. <laughs> well, that's not what it's saying. That, that's your cynicism. Uh, I think it's a little has a little more legs in that, just because of, of the actor at this time in his career. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I've always had kind of had that thought of. I just don't think that's fair to the moment. I think it was, was about Indy. Yeah, well, and I think it was also a, a, a. I'm remembering conversations of 2008 where 65 was older to be mm-hmm. an action star than it is now. So I think there was a little bit of that cynical, like, well, of course you're going to want to make more and he can't possibly make another one after this. So by introducing his son, they're clearly just trying to introduce Indy 2.0 for future films. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was, there's a lot of 2008 perspective in that conversation that I remember. And it's, it's fun watching the, the film again, where it, he is tied to Indy and he is Marion's son too. And I think mm-hmm. it's played really well to be the spirit, but he's not a replacement. Yeah. Hear that. Uh, anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to? No, no, I think we got it all. I, 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 I do love the 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 mention of the Pancho Villa episode uh, of, mm-hmm. of Young Indiana Jones even more now. I liked it then because it was like that was one of the only episodes I remembered, right? Because the show mm-hmm. at the time was kind of a faint memory in the back of my mind. But now spending a lot of time on that show in the last month, uh, it's great. It's a, and it, it's by the way, it's a great episode. <laughs> you want to know George's thoughts on? The American war machine, America's penchant for violence, uh, leaders overall, what they do. It's, it's a pretty deep episode. I think Indy picked up some lessons there. Yep. And I loved it. I love that this, it, like, I'm sure Lucas would, would have been like, when we can mention this and we can mention mm-hmm. that. And he mm-hmm. met Freud. <laughs> yep. Uh, and this just fit in nicely. I, I, I think people, you know, probably didn't a lot of people probably didn't know that 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 was an easter egg that's an actual yeah, easter egg yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah just fit in perfectly uh i pulled two sentences that just made me laugh from wikipedia that i wanted to share okay uh it, it's 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 not so much the information it's the way that they're written in in wikipedia a blessed wiki editors hmm. uh here's the first one blanchett learned defense for the character but during filming spielberg decided to give spalko karate chop skills <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. It really is that one scene where she's just like, you know, doing the real stereotypical uh, karate chops uh, all over Mutt's body. <laughs> yeah, it's, it almost, it's like, I think it's at Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2 of karate chops. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. bad joke almost. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, seems like such a George thing too. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, so, and then here, here's the final one. Uh, LaBeouf pulled his rotator cuff while filming his duel with Spalco, which was his first injury in his career, an injury which worsened throughout filming. He later pulled his groin. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Too many crotch shots. <laughs> Too many crotch shots. I just also love that way it's, it's structured because it sounds like he could have pulled his groin in 2017. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's actually related to the filming. Uh, that's amazing. Who among us? Who mm. among us? Mm. All right, we're going to go to our fun question to wrap up. Ken, if you could ask an interdimensional being, not for all knowledge, but just one bit of knowledge, what would you ask the interdimensional being? Man, that's crazy because over the course of time, be like, who in the World Series this year? When my Dolphins get back to the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, will there ever be a new Star Wars film? Uh, now I, I think I just, uh, I want to ask, uh, you know, am I going to get a good night's sleep or something tonight? It'd be something real simple, real simple about just being here now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would push against that, you know, those deep desires of, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's the fate of the world, you know, uh, when will I pass on, you know, will I ever achieve this? And like, maybe something real simple, like, uh, I struggle to keep a, a cactus alive. It should be easy. What's the, what, how do I keep a cactus alive? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I don't. I don't want to know the rest. I don't want to know my end. I want to live each day like it's my last. I don't need all that. The alien. Alien would just be like, "Well, this is this is boring." You. You know. No. You're not yeah. gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. The aliens like here. Yeah. Here's something easy. You're gonna have to pee at three thirty a.m. <laughs> there you go. It's your water. Gonna wake you up at four again. That, that's what you got. <laughs> All right, that is our big look at Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and we did it. We surpassed the length of the film by about <laughs> two minutes. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, so yeah. actually, I'm shocked this episode isn't longer, Ken. Uh, I'm going to pitch it to you to take us home. Yeah, uh, 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 I stop myself on talking about 1950s America. Oh, I've got some thoughts. Um, but anyways, um, hey, hey, everybody. We are the Force Center Podcast feed. We can be found on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram, YouTube as well. Subscribe over there so you don't miss live shows and all those fun things. Facebook uh, page is Force Center Podcast. Uh, podcast available in a lot of different spots. Just search. You'll find us. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. Uh, special shout out and thanks to all those who have been supporting, but all those who came on board when we announced the series and wanted to uh, join this, uh, join us on this journey leading up to Dial of Destiny. The episodes, uh, you know, after, after uh, this recording session, uh, we're going to start making a move to make it in public so everyone can hear, but we really appreciate those that have made this possible. Uh, you gave us the confidence more than anything to do this look at Indiana Jones. So thank you, sir. Follow me at Kidnaps. Thank you, sirs and mams and all you folks out there, I should say. Uh, 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 you can follow me at Kidnapsuck or Kidnapsuck com joseph you yeah you can find me on all the social media uh all sorts of it instagram tiktok i can't even remember all of it twitter blue sky there that's the new one i was trying to remember uh find me everywhere at joseph scrimshaw absolutely all right so that's it kids that's it friends so for all the snakes that we need to call ropes that's it for four center see you next time
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 